This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comic book click and as always i'm never alone sir please introduce yourself i am dan the comic book man ladies and gentlemen dan the comic book man is here in studio and we've decided this week to tackle something that's going on to close to being 35 years old at this point, a comic property that was plucked from obscurity and now is one of the most famous properties of all time, even though people don't even recognize the fact that it originated in comic books. We are talking the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and specifically the their very first film, their very first live action film, which took place in 1990s. Full disclosure, me and Dan... Uh, went to another dimension and recorded this uh, uh, once before. And um, I guess maybe the wavelengths didn't work in that other dimension. And thus, that episode is gone to the wind. So this will be our second time tackling this subject matter. Um, It's been one hell of a week, Dan. It has been one hell of a month. Um, But Ninja Turtles, man. Ninja Turtles are fun. People have fond memories of them. What was your first memory of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? When you think oh, back... late and... 90s, the Fox cartoon. Okay. Oh, yeah, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that one. That was that was, that was was my first inkling of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. People really dug that, that animated series. And then one day, I just my uncle just had a VHS copy. I think it was like a volume or however they came during those times in VHSs. It was just like four or five episodes yeah. on like a 35-minute VHS and I would watch it over and over and over again. Crank, I, I forgot that Rocksteady. they used to have TV on VHS. Yeah, they would just that have like so four or five now, episodes. Right? Could you imagine? Well, I mean, that's kind of that way now. I was going to say, could you imagine like a DVD with four episodes on it? Well, it's usually the whole season, but yeah, we're, we're not that far from there now. Were you a big Ninja Turtle toy fan? Oh, I had all the toys. See, the other things, I had all the 80s toys. Okay. I just didn't know the cartoon. Yeah. So I had the big uh, turtle truck. Turtle van, yeah. Yep, I had that shot out the fucking manhole covers. Uh-huh. I had all of them. The What was it? The, um, I had the sewer. Okay. Where it was all like of the play set? Yeah, it was this big play set. You, like, op- it closes from the front and you like open it. And it's like on one half, it's like it has like the bedrooms and the kitchen and Splinter's place. And this other side is like... The rest of like the sewer, but they come with, like stickers. I felt like those were very popular for all in kinds the 90s of nineties and stuff yep, like that. Those big like set pieces and where for you wrestling, can, like... they've had it for the, for um. I had it for the Power Rangers. Remember the one with Zordon's face? Yeah, I think I had it for Batman. It was like one of his caves, and you had all these uh, 
different um levels that all had these nothing really worked but they were all there <laughs> you know like everything was no because most of like the background was a sticker like yeah. it was just a big yeah. plastic piece and then you put a sticker there yeah they had for the millennium falcon they had for the death star all of them they were great the teenage mutant ninja turtles are probably one of the most highly merchandised comic book properties oh, they sell ever their toys sell for boys especially in like the the from the, from the late 80s to like the early 2000s uh do you remember the ones that came out like in like uh the early 2000s where like um they would move like they would just like the turtles would just be like uh standing in one place but like could like bend like their body yes, so if you bend yes. their body it was spring action and then they yeah. do backflips or yes. like you turn them to the side and they do like these side flips it was so awesome that's the thing they were on everything they were obviously on the things that would sell to kids but you can put any of these turtles on any piece of merchandise and it's sold. Am I misremembering? Wasn't there like a fruit pie or something? You're not wrong. There was like something like that. There was like, like a that. green fruit pie or something like that. They okay. had, turtles had a lot of like candy merchandising what too, I'm, breakfast cereals. What I'm remembering is also the ice cream with the gummy eyeballs. You, yep. had the, you had the the from the ice cream truck. You used to be able to get a Ninja Turtle, and their it would just be their face. It would, it would either be colored. Most of the time, it would always be Raphael. Yes, yeah. be, it would always be yeah. the red one. Nobody wanted to like open it and see somebody that they didn't want. And most people liked Raphael, so I guess that was an easy, safe choice at the time. But I definitely remember those gumball ice creams there. Um, Ninja Turtles. Now, I was born in uh, 1989, full disclosure. So when this first film came out, I wasn't the prime audience. I wasn't even born because... for this film. I'm 1993, so yeah, I wasn't even born for this. Mostly because I was still goo and gagaing, so I wasn't really paying attention to that. But a lot of my early memories um, come from me playing with Ninja Turtles and me playing with Power Rangers. Um, I don't know what was also the obsession. We were talking about merchandising. There was also like an obsession with like ninjas. In the 90s? Yeah. Well, because Jackie Chan's career was at, like, the height of it. Martial arts like, movies was, like, getting its, like, yeah, real... Yeah, like, three ninjas, you know, um, Karate Kid, uh, you know, which eventually got to the point of Hilary Swank being in it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, have... Is that another rule of threes? Like, is Karate Kid 2 better? We'll get to the, the rule of threes in a bit. But... There was, um... What else was there? Oh, there was the Legend of the Drunken Master was yeah. around at that time. Yeah. Like, it was all But it was definitely... Yeah, the society was very ready to... to Get See that's on. what I don't understand now about this PC culture. Like, like I, I can have very progressive, you know, like viewpoints. Yeah. Like you know, like everybody should be equal. That everybody should have their own say and voice. Yeah. But I don't understand this whole cultural appropriation thing that they're trying to say. I thought the whole point of culture was to share it. That's why we yeah. have these parades, like every year, almost every month. For you have the Chinese parade, you have the Haitian parade, the Puerto Rican Day parade. All these different parades. You go to Manhattan during the summer and there's like, you know, you've been to like Smorgasbord where it's just like a whole bunch of different countries with different foods. That's the whole point is to share it. That's the thing. But I think we have a distinctively different outlook because we're from New York. Um, That's true. You know, I served in the military and when I was in the military, I got stationed in, in Oklahoma and then in Texas. And some of I met people in Texas who never actually met a black person. Literally never met a black like person. Actually, never seen actually them like with they, their own. T- they probably seen them in cars, but they don't know any of them, anyone by name, a black person by name. They are not friends with any black people by name. And I've had that person tell me um, that they they're kind of fearful of them, mostly because they're the unknown. But the other side of that is because of the uh, portrayals of them in media, and black people in media are really only slaves and criminals, gangsters. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, and so. 
when she said this to me, to me, I was just like, this exists? Like, this is po- yeah, post especially in Yeah, exactly. This was, what, 2009 for you? Yeah, so I'm like, this is post-2000. How do you think? And it's, it's all worldview. You know, it's all how you look at it. So I, I can, I have no issues with any anybody dipping their toe in, in any culture and, and liking it. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, it's funny, like, that's probably the main thing. Japanese culture, a lot of people. There is so, if, if there from is haircuts to styles, yeah. If there's appropriation, there's a lot of appropriation in America for Japanese stuff. Um, uh, Especially anime fans, right? Um, They take on the language, they take on the food, they take on the music. They, uh, People really... See, but they don't. No one ever really bats an eye on that. Those that culture never really says like, oh, you. It's usually like the, I guess the more marginalized cultures, like you know, like the black community, the Native American community, the, sometimes the Spanish community. Like, I guess more like you know Cinco de Mayo. You you shouldn't be able to celebrate Cinco de Mayo if you're all for like you know keeping kids in cages and stuff like that. And I I could totally see that too. You know, like when I think you of... can't celebrate a culture and be racist. Like it's it it two to them don't work. So I just found out um, the term weeabo, which weeabo. is, oh, yes, which yes, is yes. Um, uh, an over-obsessive fan of Japanese culture. And um, I guess there's a difference between they, that and an otaku. I guess an otaku is somebody who respects Japanese culture. An otaku would be like how Yogi is. How he okay. how how he has like respect for like, he reads the mangas as well as watches the animes knows the studios by name and the actors by name. A weeaboo is somebody that's just so embraced into the Japanese culture. It's almost as if, as if they're like by proxy trying to be Japanese. When I think of a weeaboo, and I also think there's some there's a little bit of um of like um what would you call that like not the greatest intentions there as oh, well. Oh yes, like I think of I think of uh, Jeremy Jam. With the kimonos and the... And that's the, and the, that's a weeaboo. He bought a the, freaking, uh, an actual, uh, what was it, hibachi yeah, kitchen hibachi grill. for like $1,500. He doesn't know what anything says. He doesn't know what anything means, but he just thinks it's cool. So he he's just wearing like around. a, what was, what was he wearing, like a gi or like a kimono? He was wearing a kimono, kimono? Yeah, yeah. He was wearing a kimono. Um, and they were eating edamame. <laughs> it's, a whole, it's, a, it's a whole weird thing. But yeah, people were definitely on the ninja craze here. Um, what is it about? Let's talk a little bit about the, these characters. Um, their their outward appearance because they they're, they're turtles. They're, they're just, turtles. They're legit. Actually, just turtles. They're turtles. Um, color coded, uh, elbow pads and knee pads. Each with a distinctive um martial arts weapon. Each even with a distinctive like um personality trait in a sense. Like you have the tech. You have the the cool guy. You have the the. Um, what was it? I guess uh, the teen angst, and then you have the leader. Like, there's different. You could, there's ways to distinct each and every one of them. Yeah, and I mean those um, distinctions are have been pretty solid, like pretty concrete. Like, I don't think they've done much to move past those. Like, Raphael, four years has been the hothead. He's always going to be the hothead. Leo is a bit of the leader, the one that's closest to Splinter. Uh, Donatello is the gadgets guy. If I have to say anybody that's changed. I would say Donatello more changed in in the way that the way people like him more. Yeah. Because earlier it was always like Don Tellers, you know, the nerdy one. Especially '90s culture, no one likes nerds. Well, well, that's another thing to add on to the to the Japanese culture thing that we were just talking about. Let's talk a little bit about that because you're right. Um, n- hacking and computers and all that stuff was so way back in the in the '90s. Look oh, at the movie Hackers. Them, I was just about to say, I, I love Hackers. <laughs> right. That's one. That movie is a product of its fucking time. It's amazing. I just yeah. seen it not too recently. Uh-huh. It's a real great movie. Yeah. 
And so people thought of those people differently. And people thought of the, the lengths that you can go with computers and technology differently. Now we all have many computers in our pockets. So Donatello would be a tech genius. He'd be, he'd be the guy who developed an app that, you know. He would make a new phone. He would have his own phone. Millions of dollars. Um, and so that, that would be viewed differently. In the same sense, that 90s was all about angst and attitude. So Raphael's hot-headedness. He was, he, 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 was, he was the hot thing. But I think in retrospect, now that you look at it, he's kind of a man-child. He's kind of a... Well, once again, a, they are 15. So blue, he's not a oh, man yeah, at all. Sense. He he's is not a man. He's kind of a turtle child. He's kind of a man turtle. <laughs> he's, just, he's just rude. He's just having, he's having yeah. that, that he, whole... He, he has to grow out of that. That's yes. not something that people should look at and be like... Oh, I'm t- I can totally, you know, relate. Like that's something you see every time he's with Splinter. Anytime it's Raphael and Splinter on scene in any of these turtle movies, from animated to live action, there's always that. Listen, you need to just relax. Know that I love you. Know that the world's not this bad. Just learn your training, and you'll be all right. What was your favorite uh, Ninja Turtle adaptation? Because, like you were just saying, they they spanned across uh, movies and TV and video games and all this kind of stuff. When you think back at Ninja Turtles. What is the version that you see as the definitive version to you, obviously? To me, it would have to go the TMNT. The TMNT film? The TMNT film, the animated one from like 2006 or whatever. I yeah. saw it in theaters. like, And I was still, I was a teenager. Patrick was, Stewart's in that. Yes. <laughs> and so is. is Chris Evans. Yes, he is. You know, getting his superhero. Uh, you know. And the thing is, because this was the TMNT when they weren't teenagers. This was after, yeah. this is when they grew up. They're like in their 20s. The group grows up. No and Shredder. There was no Shredder. No, it was a whole new bad guy. It was um, it was still the Foot Clan. Oh, yeah, but they were like trying to get like these like demons they had a or female leader. Yeah, who I think in the comics is hinted at that that might be Shredder's daughter. But um, that which would be cool there. if they if they hinted and they never really stated, then that's cool enough as is. Let the fan theories grow. Yep. But what I loved about that movie was just that the way that you would see how they would be able to exist without each other. Michelangelo was a. A kid's oh, clown. Yes, yes, Leonardo yes, yes. went to seclusion in another country. Donatello was IT tech support. And Raphael was still the trench coat. He was vigilante. Yeah. He was the masked writer? The masked... Something like that. I can't remember. He, I remember him having those uh, metal... He had like um, metal balls on chains. And he had some sort of like weird masked... Like weird uh, suit of armor kind of mask. Oh, it was 2007. Is that it? Okay. A- do you have a? Let me see. Uh, hopefully they. Do you have a name for Raphael's uh... Night Watcher? Night Watcher. Night Watcher. The Night Watcher. Okay, yeah. See, you know what? My favorite part of TMMT is, uh, is the the rain fight. It's him and Leo fighting yeah. in the rain about the Night Watcher host thing. Like Leo's like, "What are you doing?" Like, because he's been doing this in secret, and uh, Raphael's like, "You better try to stop me." Um, those two constantly butt heads. Are, is that a is that a trope for you at this point? Is that something you look think, forward to? I, uh, are you annoyed by it, or is it? Or when you see it, is it like okay, this is obviously a definitive version of the turtles because they always argue. I guess in a sense, it's not so far as a an origin trait. Yeah, like we all know, Batman's parents get shot in an alleyway. We all know Spider Man got bit by a spider. This isn't one of those traits. This is one of those like. It's hard because I guess it is a trope. Yeah. But I feel like if you have a brother, and if you have a brother that you feel like you're either A, better than, or B, isn't going out for his full potential that you know he can go to, you're going to always butt heads. You know, to, unless they, like, always agree, you're, they're going to, like, I have a little brother that I don't always agree with. 
So I, it's not that I look forward to it. It doesn't bother me. I could do without it in some movies. Like, um, let's say it happens in a first movie, and then it happens in the second movie, and then in the third movie. Okay. Then by yeah. the third movie, I'm just like, okay, listen, can we not, like, every movie you two argue? Well, also, by the third movie, you're probably traveling through time, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, look, you got to stop. But, but um, no, yeah, I think it's right. I think I think what makes it, what separates it, in a, in a way, is um, there? It, it's more of a battle of ideologies. They're not just picking at each other; they're pick at each other. They see things completely different. They have a completely different. Yeah, because one's patient and the other one's not. Like, yeah, so it's, it's not tropey for Batman and Superman to argue. They're going to exactly argue because of the directions that they're going in. It's just That's like just you know, happens. I wouldn't want to watch a whole season of Justice League cartoon and every episode they're literally arguing. I would like to see some episodes where, like, oh, you know what? I can see your side of the story, and I can see your side, and let's work together at, at it. You know, like, yeah, that'd be because they're heroes at the end of the day. Exactly. You heroes have to. Have you have to. <laughs> turtle power. Turtle power. Um, my favorite adaptation will probably be Ninja Turtles to Secret of the Ooze, uh, because. I have a weird... I was born at a weird time. I was born in 1989, like I said again. And so, the very first iterations of a lot of these films, like Batman, or Ninja Turtles, or Short Circuit, um, and I'm pretty sure there's a, 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 lit, a litany of other versions of these films. I'm only, I don't think I was born for Secret of the Ooze either. See, and that's what I'm saying. Like, what, what The time you were born will dictate how you perceive these things. So The third one. I was born in 1993. Was, the third one came out in 94. And I was born in time for the second one, even though I was three, I think, when the second one came out, maybe. By the time VHS younger, would came, it would by the time you would get it on VHS, you would be at a point where you can remember well, I, it. And I would love it, right? Yeah, I would get you'd be it, five love at it, the time you would get it. Right, and at the time I would get it, I would be five. And also, the Power Rangers are coming out now live on television. When I turn five, that's when the Power Rangers show up on TV. So it's a whole... I'm going through a whole, like, craze of this stuff. But, um, yeah, didn't see Short Circuit 1 for years. Saw Short Circuit 2 and could recite it. Uh, Love Batman Returns. Hadn't seen Batman 89. I probably saw it for the first time maybe, like, 15 years ago. That's funny because my, my uncle... I think it was, like, 19... It had to be 1998. Or 1999. Uh-huh. My uncle, I was at my dad's house for the weekend, and my uncle came to visit my mom's brother. And he was leaving, and he comes to me and says, "Here, I got some. I got something for you." And not got it, but he was just giving me like a, I guess, a copy of his VHS, and it was Batman 1989. That was I saw that when I was like five, six years old, and it changed. It legit actually changed my life to what I want in a movie. I never thought I'd be so entertained, so scared, but just so like captivated. It was crazy. I I knew more about um, Ace Ventura when Nature Calls mm. than I did about Ace Ventura. I War. thought when Nature Calls <laughs> was the first one and Pet Detective was the second one. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot, of, I'm looking. I'm looking now at just 90 sequels, and I realized how far I had fallen because there, a lot of these. Um, I had thought Adam Family. I saw Adam Family. I thought Adam Family Values was the first one too. Um, and I thought that was the first one. And then you when you and the funny thing is. All of them follow the same kind of trope, even th- this turtle film, where the first one is almost really dark, starkly serious, and the second one they go, "Oh, you gotta like joke it up." Like, well, that's the problem. Cause shoot it in daylight. The studios and don't joke it up. Mi- don't mind like it having that dark and gritty tones. Like, oh yeah, this is nineties. This is gonna. This is Gremlins too. So Gremlins two. Then I I don't even think I'm now I can remember. Gremlins Wait, which one, one was the one in New York? Gremlins two. Oh, that's my favorite. That's what I'm saying. That's my favorite. That's what I'm saying. We were born at a time of these, of uh, these. Oh my uh, God, yo, you're not. Sequels. You're not wrong because the first lep. Now that I think back, the first Leprechaun I saw, I think was Leprechaun Three. 
and the first look was talking. I saw was look was talking to. Oh, that was uh, you saw look was talking to first. Oh uh, no, I saw look both babies and the dog. I saw look who's talking first. That that movie's a classic. Um, Sister Act two, I also saw first. So yeah, yeah it's just a, it's just, it's this whole thing of of sequels. And so my Ninja Turtle, my definitive Ninja Turtle, um, Ninja Turtles are the second one from the second film, but, um. Uh, up there also is the Turtles from Turtles in Time, which was, was which was the Super Nintendo slash arcade game that you played where you basically it was a side scroller. And I always remembered that they used to hit their foot and go, my toe, my toe. And then uh, there's a sewer surfing uh, level. Great stuff. I don't even think I've ever beaten any of the Ninja Turtles games. They Those used to have the little hard. mousers. Those little mouse-like robot creatures would be everywhere. You fought Baxter Stockman. You fought Shredder. Like, those things were all there. I loved that game. Um, And I heard they've tried to make versions of it, more modern versions of it lately. And oh, I'm about to look up because there's a certain Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that yeah. me and my cousin used to play. Like, like crack. Like, it, it was religion for us. Like, we Wasn't had- that the one that's a bit open world? Uh, it had yeah. It was for like PlayStation Two. You can like go back to like the the shredder. Oh, not shredder. You could go back to the sewer. There like they had these like these arcade games. I'm trying to remember which one it was called. Yeah, but I man, um, you can still go to arcades. Oh, like, it was just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Just that. You can still go to arcades like Barcade and find the the, the Ninja Turtle thing. It's always going to be in every arcade because people have very very fond memories. I mean, of that. it's even now in the Mortal Kombat. Like, oh yes, right? right. It's in Mortal Kombat and now. Not, not only that, then the comic man, but you do you do realize we're we're we've almost crossed off every uh, DLC from that Mortal Kombat. Oh my because god, we've done Terminator. Terminator. We did Hellboy. Uh, we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, oh, Hellboy was from um, Injustice, but we're getting DLC. We're, we're do- just doing DLCs. We're doing them, um, it's, and it's hilarious. So I, I found that funny when I was thinking about that too. I was like, oh yeah, they did. They 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 are in um, Mortal Kombat. Oh no, they're in Injustice. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. They're in Injustice. Yeah, yeah, they're in Injustice. So it's like, and but Terminator's in Mortal Kombat. But you were doing the Terminator versus Superman for the for Dark Fate for Dark Fate. Yeah. Okay. For Dark Fate, and then this is the 35th anniversary of this property. Um, but time to get it. Time to get down with what people who actually are listening to this episode for. Sophie's choice: all four turtles, three bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Which turtle lives? Who is your favorite teenage mutant? Ninja I would turtle? shoot Toby twice. <laughs> no, let me show you how it works. <laughs> Stand next to each other. Oh, uh, my! F- my favorite will always be Michelangelo. Michelangelo is your favorite? Yeah, well, when it when it came down to who is really my favorite, I can't go by just movie personalities because I feel like each turtle is just special, like engraved in my heart. But if I'm going to have to go to by the character that I played most in the game, like the the, the PlayStation 2 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, Michelangelo. Because all, all of these like um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like with any game with characters, they have uh-huh. special like uh, abilities that they, that only that specific character can do. You press square and they can do a double jump or something like that. So for Michelangelo, there was no falling for him because he has the nunchucks. His nunchucks would uh, work as helicopter? helicopters. Yeah. Helicopter yeah. So there was no fall damage for him. Anytime you would go to fall, bam, helicopters. I dig that. So I was I and who doesn't love pizza? You're who right. doesn't love pizza? And then these guys love pizza. And I'll tell you one thing, man. If you've ever seen uh like 
any kind of animated uh, Ninja Turtles or even the movies, like their pizzas always look amazing. Yeah, there's no reason why pizza. You know what? It's not just pizza and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This has always been my complaint for cartoons T- in general. Food. Yeah, <laughs> cartoon food has no right looking as delicious as it looks, especially those big ass hams that's always in like Tom and Jerry and or stuff. Or the huge drumstick. Just like what With animal a big are you getting piece that of off? butter on it? Like the yeah. butter's like this like, big. Where are you getting that? What leg of an animal is that? A horse? <laughs> it got to the. It got bad when I rewatched Oliver and Company, and I'm like, damn, that cat food looks delicious. <laughs> what is going on right now? Yo, Oliver and Company's a hidden gem. It's, oh, that's a have, deep cut right there. It, yeah, Oliver and Company, good movie. Um, I'm a Donatello guy, and I wonder if I'm a Donatello guy mostly because I didn't want to fight over Raphael and Leonardo. You can't. Honestly. I definitely didn't want to be Leonardo at the time. I thought he was too preachy. As I'm an adult now, I realize that he was do- if without Leonardo. <laughs> and we saw what happens without Leonardo in TMMT. That's the team without Leonardo. It's basically Leonardo's like growing up being team. a Batman fan and then realizing that Superman is more valued. Like. Yeah. That the real power is that restraint that, that Superman has. And it's the same thing with and Leo. Like, Leo could tell all the turtles, like, let's go just kill everybody all the time. But he doesn't. He and I choose to-, to believe that Leonardo, if given the opportunity three on one, would make food out of all three of those turtles. I'm not gonna I, I don't disagree. I think there's something said. I think he's the only one who actually gets a hit on on Shredder in this film um, or gets close to How many it. times does he kick Raphael's ass in every adaptation? Because he's just more disciplined. And the exactly. Idea that, and the idea that, that Raphael has this chip on his shoulder that continuously trips him up. He's patient. He's calm. He can. He, I'm telling you, three on one, he would whip all of their asses. Yeah. So it's not like he's like my – he wouldn't be my favorite, but I would just know that he's the best. He is the definition of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Another thing is um, I feel like there's a situation where, you know, you, we talked about the trope of, of Leonardo and Raphael arguing one, with one another, right? Um, so many times in these arguments, I, I feel for both of the guys. Like, I'd be like, well, Leo's right. You are kind of being a dick. And then Raphael's like, well, Ra- Raphael's right. Like, do we really have a plan here? Or, like, are you just going to be high and mighty and not try to, you know, look at all sides of this? So it made both of them look a shade uncool to me. And then you turn your eyes, and who's in the corner eating pizza and chilling and telling jokes to each other? The man. Donnie and Mikey. Yep. The, the men. The, those the... two always hang because the other two are always arguing. And I find that so cool. Even in the scene later on that we talk about, the tequila scene, it's it's Mikey and Donnie because Leo's just sitting there doing some kind of weird dance and Raphael is mad. So he just walks out. Um, and so was, I was like, I always want to be those two. I feel like it's that they, they have uh, – it's, it's confidence that Leonardo and Raphael don't have. And it's it, it might be it might be weird to say, but I feel like Leonardo and Raphael have an insecurity in a sense. Like, am I good enough to be a leader? Am I good enough to be the man that sh- that Splinter wants me to be on Leo's on Leo's end? Yeah. And on Rafi's end, it's that insecurity of why am I not good enough to be leader? Why am I looked at as not the one? And then you have Mikey and Donatello who are confident in who they are. That they're just like, hey, we're not. We don't need to argue. I'm gonna go fix my uh, gadgets and I'm gonna go order a pizza. When you know who you are, you don't got to worry about others. And I I see that, like you said again, a lot in Mikey and Donnie um, because they're not fighting for anything. They know what their worth is and they know who they are in that sense. And there's nobody else fighting for their positions. No one's going to out-tech Donnie. No one's going to out-silly Mikey. You know, yeah. those things are not going to happen. Um, and so uh, watch 
as as a fan of the Turtles, I always dug Donnie because every let everybody let everybody argue about everything. Like I'm just gonna chill over here. When y'all done arguing, then we can eat pizza. Like that's that was me. That was I was very un, not confrontational. I was like I just want to hang out and eat pizza. That, that's it. What what New Yorker in general doesn't want to hang out and just eat pizza? But I'd be I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a fan of the 1987 cartoon. That's what. Most people know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles on a Half Shell. That cartoon, half is, show. that cartoon is one of the best cartoons to come out of the out of the eighties. Not only did it have heart and real family values and a message for the kids, but it was entertaining. It was funny, and it was a pro. The thing about it is sometimes things don't need to be timeless and ageless. Why can't we just enjoy something that was a product of its time? If it's not racist and if it's not putting anybody down, let we it should, just. We should go harder. Like, if things become products of their time, which, again, absolutely nothing wrong with, then we have the responsibility to then create the product for this time. Of course. You know? But what is the product of this time when we're doing nothing but taking the formulas of every uh, product that ever came before us? We're taking that swing bop slang. We're taking that grunge 90s look, that this and that, that, this kind of movie, that kind of movie. And we're just trying to melting pot to try and do our own style. And that's, that's what's getting the problem with our generation and the generation after us. Is we don't have our own style, we're just inspired by everyone that came before us. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics as poetry. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, read. Um, Leon- Le- Leonardo's the leader in blue. Does anything it takes to get his ninjas through. Donatello is a fellow. Has a way with machines. Raphael has the most attitude on the team. Michelangelo, he's one of a kind, and you know just where to find him when it's party time. Where was that from? It says it's, they say they're the lyrics to the theme song. Oh, that is no, 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 no. That is not. Maybe that's the a lyrics. 2012 version because well, I don't recognize. Yeah, that that's stuff. a 2000. No, it's Leonardo leads. Donatello does machines. Uh, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Splinter taught them to be ninja teens. Leonardo leads. Donatello Hello does, does machines. machines. Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo Angelo is, is a, a party dude. dude. Yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage yes. Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember because they're the world's most fearsome fighting team. Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're heroes in a half shell. And they're teen. Oh, green. 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 Yeah. But yeah. People. When the evil shutter attacks, Tax. the turtles form and cut no slack. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. God damn it. That- Very, and like that show served as an actual animated commercial for all of the stuff, all the merchandise that ended up coming out for Turtlemania. Oh no, they used that style of drawing those voice actors all for like all the, sets, the, all the next 10 years. Yeah, that and like, we were talking about before definitive versions of the turtles. Too many that is theirs. You understand? Know oh no, like, there's a lot of like people up, that are older that. than us that that's their turtles. Literally, if I was born five years earlier, they'd probably be my turtles. Oh, one hundred percent. Um, when did you find out that these these crazy turtles were actually originated from a comic book that they came came from comics? Well, the thing about my I I grew up around a bunch of nerds. Okay, but I grew up around nerds that were like. They didn't let it like affect their personality. Okay. So, some ner- some nerds in my family were straight up nerds. Others were were like I grew up in Spanish Harlem, so I'm still a thug, but I do read comics because it's awesome as hell. Right. So I had cousins and uncles that would tell me these things, these like fun facts about comics that I wouldn't personally read myself till I was older. But I would always know that it was part of that world. Yeah. Like, I always knew about the League of Shadows and Legion of Doom. So when Batman Begins came out, 
I already knew everything that was going down. Even if I didn't read it, I just had uncles and cousins that explained it to me. So I had a, an uncle that told me that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was actually a comic book uh-huh. and showed me like, you know, like remember how like Archie and Jughead came? Yeah. Those small little like books. Yeah. There was one of those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles books that came like that. Yeah. And it was just, it was all black and white. There was no color. I was like, yeah, this is a comic book. Bam. I think I ended up doing um, some deep diving when I saw an image of them all in red. They all had red bandanas. And I was like, what's going on here? Is this like a situation where um, someone's looking for Raphael? So they all dressed like Raphael in like a Spartacus moment of like, I'm the real Raphael. I'm Raphael. I'm the real Raphael. Um, but it turns out that they were originally conceived as wearing all red uh, bandanas because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles first appeared in an American comic book published by Mirage Studios in 1983 in Dover, New Hampshire. The concept arose from a humorous drawing sketched out by Kevin Eastman during a casual evening of brainstorming and bad television with Peter Laird. Um, using money from a tax refund, which I heard was roughly around $2,000, together with a loan from Eastman's uncle, the young artist self-published. Self-published, people. It can it can happen. Have a dream. Uh, put some money behind it. They self-published a single-issue comic intended to parody the four most popular comics of the early 1980s. So look at that. You, you Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yeah. This man self-published a parody comic, and it turned into, 35 years later, the Teenage Fucking Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think I asked Google the other day, and Kevin Eastman um, is, like, uh, his net worth is, like, $20 million, which is, like, for a parody comic? You know what I'm like for, um, But, yeah, these things are supposed to be parodying Daredevil, which, um, you know, the ties with Daredevil go in with the origins. Um, characters like Stick and uh, Splinter. Um and the hand and the foot, you know, Daredevil fights the hand and the Ninja Turtles fight the Foot Clan. Uh, that's where those jokes are. New Mutants, literally mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, Dave Sims' Cerebus, which I have not read, and Frank Miller's Ronin, which, if I'm not mistaken, is a, a, a very serious take at, like, Japanese feudal Japan, Samurai Ronin, yeah. all that kind of stuff like that. No, because Ronin so, is a, uh, I think it's an actual Japanese, like, Myth character or something like that, or yeah. Were you able to read um, any of the any of the Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird comics? No, I didn't get a chance. I, I was I was I was looking for colored ones because I thought I could oh, find them in color. Yes, then yes. I saw that they were in all black and white. And I was like, damn, I kind of don't like <laughs> reading in black and white. I read the first issue. I could give you guys a bit of a, a synopsis, but basically, what happens is the turtles um, see a bunch of street punks harassing somebody. They um, like ninjas come in in the night, attack them, and are able to disappear without a trace. Sorry. Um, they go to Splinter to be like, yo, we just beat up on the Purple Dragon Gang, which I'm pretty sure that's what they were called. And then um, while that's happening, uh, Splinter's like, well, then you guys have passed the first test, but I guys, now I need to let you guys in on something, which is always funny, right? Because this happens in the films, and uh, it happens in the comic. It's like, You've lived this whole life without this moment, without me telling you this truth. But now that we have viewers, I'm going to now let you know this very serious thing about your past. And so he basically um, explains their origin that he was uh, raised by a very serious member of the Foot Clan named Har- Har- uh, I got this named Hamato Yoshi. And Hamato, that was it. Hamato, ha- Yoshi. Hamato Yoshi. Um, was Splinter's master, and 
was a very, very skilled martial artist. And while he would train, Splinter would watch him in his cage and mimic his moves. In doing so, uh, Splinter became very highly skilled. Uh, still in rat form, very small mouse. Uh, he came, became highly skilled at uh, ninjutsu. Yeah, but did he learn how to give ocular pat-downs and assess the situations? No, no. He See, he that's figured, the problem. He ain't figured that out yet. And ha- had he... He would have realized that his master Yoshi was locked into some serious stuff because he was um, constantly feuding with another member of his uh, Foot Clan over a girl. The girl wanted nothing to do with the other gentleman, only really liked Yoshi, Splinter's master. And so um, one day, um, the other guy could not take no for an answer. Starts to tell the girl, like, no, you're going to be with me. And when she denies him, he slaps her and starts to beat her. Uh, Splinter's master That's sees... That's a violent thing this for This is a... all in the first issue. So uh, Splinter sees... Um, sorry. Uh, Yoshi sees his rival beating um, this woman and goes so crazy, sees so much red, that he kills his rival. Which also makes him a disgraced member of the Foot Clan because um, you don't kill you don't kill your fellow clan members. See, that's so funny of what they did in the 80s cartoon because the pilot of the 80s cartoon when he was telling about the story was he and Splinter was Hamashu Yoshi. Yes. And Hamashu Yoshi. And there was no woman that they each loved. It was just... Um, and there was no brother that was killed and then Splinter, uh, Shredder vows revenge. Shredder yeah. is... Always there, Orokusaki and Hamatoyoshi were uh, students together in the same martial arts academy. Yeah, and one day, like Which the is a big real Karate Kid kind of, <laughs> and one day this big actual higher up in martial arts, this monk guy, came to visit the school, and when everybody went to bow, uh, what's his name? Orokusaki put a a knife in his a gi, okay, and stuck him to the wall so he couldn't Move. bow. Yeah, yeah, and they took it as a sign of disrespect. So he when he went to figure out that he that there was a knife there and he took it out they thought he was, he was pulling a knife on him to attack him so yeah. they kicked him out of the school and disgraced uh, he left the country and went to america so that's, that's very like PG- that's like more disgraceful this is also disgraceful i mean because you kill the member of your clan and then you him and the girl run to new york and they bring the rat no with they're them. both pretty like a sad story for 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 yoshi no matter what if it's yeah. if splinter is yoshi or Yoshi and Splinter are two different things. It's still a sad story for this guy. Yeah, because what ends up happening is um, Oroku Saki. Did I say that? Yeah, Oroku Saki. Oroku Saki, the brother of the man killed by Hamato Yoshi, vows revenge. And so as Hamato Yoshi and um, Shien, the female, go to America, New York uh, particularly, um, uh, Oroku Saki is tasked... To go to New York and start the New York chapter of the Foot Clan. In going over there, he finds Yoshi and Shien. And because he remembered that they basically are the reason why his brother's dead in some kind of weird off-about way, he kills them. He murders both of them. Um, first, he murders the woman. And then Yoshi comes home and sees the woman murdered. And then uh, Saki kills Yoshi. And Splinter sees all this from his cage. The ensuing uh, fight, I think he ends up like scratching him and then uh, they knock the cage over and then the cage ends up being roughly in the same perimeter as this turtle, the, a bunch of turtles who get hit with the same ooze. So everybody gets hit with this radioactive ooze that falls off a truck. 
funnily enough, it's the same truck that Matt Murdock pushed a man out of the way. Am I saying that right? Matt Murdock pushed a man out of the way. Out of the way from? Yeah. Out of the way of? Out of the way of. (laughs) Out of the way of? Um thus starting his origin. So Matt Murdock's origin is that he w- he pushed a man out of the way uh from getting hit by a truck carrying dangerous chemicals. Uh some of those chemicals end up getting in Matt's eyes causing him to go blind but also have heightened other senses creating the character Daredevil. We're also led to believe that that same truck uh, a canister fell off of it with the same um material, the same ooze if you will. And this ooze uh fell into a sewer. And fell onto the Ninja Turtles. And thus, um, Splinter raises these turtles who increasingly get smarter. And uh, when Splinter first sees them, they're covered in this ooze. So he goes to wipe them off and the ooze gets on him. And so when he falls asleep and wakes up, he's bigger. They can all talk. They're all smart. And he decides that he's going to train them. Um, I think ultimately what you find out is he's, he was training them to kill Orokusaki. Probably, yeah. Get from revenge. The, from the jump. And so... In the comic, he tells him, or he tells them, um, all right, now that you guys have had your first, you know, scrimmage, if you will, uh, and now that I've told you the origin, Orokusaki is still here in New York. I need one of you to go tell him, like, we know about you, and, you know, you're going to ultimately pay for what's going on here. And Raphael Go sends the message. He basically throws a sigh with a note on it that says, like, we know that you're here and you're going to end up paying for your dishonor or whatever. Um, and so they fight off on a rooftop. Splinter basically beats them all up um, before they get the better of him at the end. And then um, they give him a a uh, a sword or a sigh um, so he could commit that version of suicide. And I should have looked that damn thing up. Uh, let me see. Which is also weird because... Um... With the the origin for uh, the cartoon, the 87 cartoon, was since he was already a person, when he went to New York, he went straight homeless. He didn't find a job. He didn't find an apartment. He went straight into the sewers. With that dark as hell. Yeah. Like, he became, he went from being, like, one of the best, like, um and brightest uh, ninjas in Japan to becoming homeless in New York. And that's when, yeah, one day he saw the green slime, the radioactive yeah, ooze falling down and... He noticed that these four turtles were in it, and he grabbed the, the turtles real quick and went to rub them off. And then all of a sudden, his body started changing into... And I think in the cartoon, it was also something about like the last thing that you touched, or the last thing that was around you, right? Like That, that had some sort of effect. I think um, the human Hamato Yoshi had seen a rat, or living was living in the sewer with rats, and thus became a rat, because that was, was what, what was nearby. Um... I I knew this. This is why I was kind of confused. I knew it as ha- Harakiri. But it's also being referred to as Sepeku. Seppuku. Um, and so it's a form of Japanese ritual suicide by disembowelment. That's this is what This is the option that the turtles give Shredder when they beat him up on top of this roof. They give him a, a, a sword so he can do this ritual suicide. Oh, yeah, suicide. you're supposed to stab yourself in the gut and then go yeah. this way and all that. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, as seen in the Wolverine, but, um, they, they, he's like, nah, screw that. If I'm going to die, I'm going to take you all with me. And he pulls out a grenade that's supposed to kill him and all the turtles. But I think at the end of it, Raphael or Leonardo knock him off the roof and he falls and, uh, we don't see him again for a while. Um, 
So, yeah. Thing That's is, awesome. So you had this very – so it is it is parody, but it's so serious in its parody. It's Archer, right? Where like <laughs> – Yeah. Like, there's they, – they do pay a, a, a lot of attention to detail. Talking about things but like But most tinnitus, of the time is they're going after the tropes. Yeah. Like Talk, they're trying to like that. Talking about things like tonight's tonight's is real. You know, if you shoot a gun too close to somebody's ear, they will get tinnitus. Um, and they speak about those things. You have to kind of know what you're talking about to parody it the right way. And the Turtles definitely did with all these, with things like ritualistic Japanese suicide in, in the 1980s comic. Like, what are you talking about? Um, now, noticeably, post the first initial comic run, you know, they sold, I think they initially printed in their first printing uh, 5,000 issues and it sold out. They That's went to like crazy. six different printings. They went to like six different printings and um, this thing blew up. But it definitely blew up when Mark Friedman, a licensing agent, uh, hit up Eastman and Laird and was like, yo, I think these, these turtles are going to be a great opportunity for a licensed product. And so he got them their first toy line with Playmates. And back in those days, if you had a toy line, man, you definitely had a cartoon. Think of He-Man, think of Thundercats, all that. Uh, so they ended up getting their own animation. Um, like or four years cartoon. later. That's so crazy. They ended up getting their own animated cartoon. Uh, came, came from the Murakami Wolf Swenson Animation Studio. And they got designers and writers from Playmates and writers uh, for the cartoon to develop an entire Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle expanded universe. Ca- ca- characters like Bebop and Rocksteady and Krang come from the animated series. Baxter Stockman and all that. Baxter, I think, is in the comic. But Bebop and Rocksteady are purely uh, comic book characters to the point that uh, Eastman and Laird refused to use them for the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film because they were like... They- we didn't write those guys. Like we don't. Oh, okay, okay. So like we'll create our own versions, and they end up being cheap knockoffs in a way. It's weird. Oh, so they so they wrote the second one. And this were... was this was um Stephen King going. I don't like that shining. I'll make my own shining. And then, and then we're like, gonna cast the guy from Wings. And like then you go, was this really your intention? Was this really what you? No, wanted no, I'm not gonna lie. Like I've I've heard enough of the Shining book that that really was like that. Like, Jack Torrance is like. The descent into madness was supposed to be more um, empathetic than the way it was in Stanley Kubrick's. Okay. Like, Stanley Kubrick's, you don't feel bad for Jack Torrance at all. Like, the whole time you want, like, the family to live. But in, like, the book, like, because there's, like, 1,500 pages to Stephen King books, you do get more of, like, Jack Torrance's personality. You get to know him more. There's certain scenes that are, like, in the movie are extended upon by chapters and chapters in the book. Yes. So that's all I hear from people that have read The Shining. It's like, oh, wait, no, Jack Torrance actually was really likable in the book. It's, you start to feel bad when he starts going crazy. And that's a big, big thing, especially with these comic book properties, man. Because there's comic book properties that have sold millions of dollars in, in, in literal issues, right? And then when push comes to shove and a big studio decides they want to adapt it, they take all these liberties with it that end up redefining what that character is to a mass audience. And sometimes that disconnect is is so much that people don't go back. They'll watch um, a poorly adapted uh, film based on a book and then not go to the book because they're like, wow, that movie was boring. (laughs) You know, like how people keep talking about this, but that was boring. Like think of those who will probably never go to the, the Books of Ice and Fire or whatever because they did not like uh, the end of Game of Oh, Thrones. that's so sad because those books are actually amazing. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, 
it's up to those in Hollywood to adapt them as close to the source material as possible because regardless of whether or not they want to believe it or not, it is the source material that sold it in the first place. That's true. That's what made it popular from the source material. And so you can't just take these properties and start lobbing off whole traits because, well, this just fits better for a cinematic experience and whatnot, even though that's exactly what they did for the cartoon. Cowabunga started in the cartoon. Pizza. Oh, that their obsession with pizza started in the cartoon because both creators. Well, from what my understanding, it seems like this fucking comic book was too dark and dour to have time to say cowabunga and eat pizza. They're yeah. too busy giving people ultimatums to disembowel themselves. And that's why I feel like this the film that we're gonna cover, I think, is like the perfect sweet spot. I think it literally sits right between the very stark and gritty nature of the um comic book. But also not too, you know, waka waka like the like the cartoon. <laughs> um, but let me tell you about the production for this for this film because tell them I don't think they understand. In the 1980s, the first pitch uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird got for a film treatment was from Roger Corman, the guy behind the fanta- the beautiful Fantastic Four film of the 1990s that most people have not seen. And if you're not familiar with Roger Corman or New World Pictures, Roger Corman is famous for making like C level movies, D level movies. He was the um We're talking Little Shop of Horrors. He was Death cre- Race two thousand. You understand? He was creating the uh the the Sharknados of, of their day. Also he was he actually did adapt in the sixties like every Edgar Allan Poe poem. He did pit As in a the film? Yeah. Pit in the Pendulum, The Masquerade of the Red Death, Tales of Terror, The Raven, House of Usher, like do I know House of Usher? I know one of those. Which is the one with the bricks? Uh, uh that was Casco Montalado. That's the one where the guy uh he it's, comes he's bricking him up in the, into the wall. He's, he, <laughs> he 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 has a rival, this guy that he truly hates. So yeah. he decides to one night take him out, let bygones be bygones, and get him so drunk off of wine that he falls asleep. And yeah. then when he wakes up, the guy is literally bricking up this brick wall in a in a wine cellar. He's leaving him yeah. in a wine cellar with nothing but like wine to drink. So it's either you're gonna starve to death. Or just drink yourself into death, alcohol poisoning. Yeah, 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 you have the option, but one of them is death. I remember thinking that that was jacked up. But well, I got like uh, uh, jacked I think up. like the Telltale Heart was pretty jacked up too. Yeah. Well, the Mask of the Red Death was about this guy that had the bubonic plague. Yeah. And decides to go to a fucking ball party uh, that they wear masks there. It's like yeah. a masquerade party. So when and he, he takes off everybody, yeah. So when he takes off his mask, his face looks like another mask because it's like bleeding and red, like pus everywhere. I reread Telltale Heart. And um, he like the guy that gets killed in that gets killed from some like weird arbitrary reason. It was like I didn't like his face, or I didn't like his eyes, or something like that. It was something very superficial. Like I don't know. Every time I look at him, he just looks crazy. So I'm gonna go into his house in the middle of the night and kill him Edgar and then stuff Paul, him man. underneath the floorboards. Uh, dark. <laughs> yeah. And then he could forever just hear his heart beating from the floorboard the forever like, and ever. Hey, do you know where your neighbor is? Yada yada boom, yada. He's boom, like, boom, no. Boom, boom. That's all you hear. Boom, 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 boom. It's. I had an English teacher in eighth grade that had us that had everybody get into groups of like four, pick an Edgar Allan Poe poem, and then act it out. Wow. And we acted out. Me and three other classmates acted out the Telltale Heart. Every time I think of Telltale Heart, I think of Simpsons. The episode with uh, where Lisa has a heart, <laughs> she puts a heart in 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 like underneath the floorboards, and she keeps hearing it. Uh, she actually was making a diorama of the Telltale Heart, uh, which was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, 
funnier is that my man Roger Corman, who did all those uh, Edgar Allan Poe things, he was going to have the Turtles played by four comedians who were popular at the time. Gallagher, Sam Kinison, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Billy Crystal. And all those actors would have been put in turtle shells with their arms and legs painted green. So it would have been the, the Luferigno Hulk. It would. This seems like a Three Amigos kind of, you know, like a oh Three Amigos kind of film. But why would you do it with Ninja Turtles? Because Roger Corman doesn't care about source material. I don't know. I still have to see that. Uh, I still have to see that Fantastic Four. Roger oh my Corman god, the one where the Four. thing is actually like silicone face and everything. Sam Kinison. I finally know who Sam Kinison is. I totally recognize him, but I never knew that was his name. Oh yeah, him. Yes. That's Sam Kinson. Bob Cackle with on drugs. Yes. Or off drugs, whichever you want to I think they were I think everybody was on drugs. It's Billy Crystal? Billy, Billy Crystal? Crystal? Billy Crystal did nothing in and this was supposed to be what year? Like This would be in the eighties. So this would be, let's let's put it post the the film series I mean the cartoon series and let's say eighties eighty eight. My god, the only thing that he did was um Well I know because I even think when Harry met Sally was eighty nine, so Hold on. But Billy Crystal, I don't know. I can't, I mean, uh, yeah, Ben when Harry met Sally was 89. There was, there was no way, like. But he I was could... from SNL, I guess, so he had, he had gotten a lot of, uh. It's... Oh, Princess Bride is in, is in 1987. Uh, Throw Mama from the Train is in 1987. Uh, yeah. But he hadn't done City Slickers yet. Oh, so then, then there's no point in casting him if he didn't do City Slickers yet. If he didn't do, well, I, if he would, if they would have got him for the nine, 1990s, then yeah, he would have done the movies that he's famous for now. This is also, um, it's also funny because this was before people used to get bulked up for these movies. So I'm assuming that it would just be Billy Crystal in his regular uh, appearance. The and same thing with Sam Kinison. Who's a little bit overweight, and Bobcat Goldthwait. Who's definitely overweight. You know, I think that I think that that's kind of funny. Um, hey, Cowabunga, dude! Yeah, that would not have worked. Pizza time! Pizza time! An- another treatment that they were sent about, uh, you know, somebody else trying to make their film. Uh, almost went into R-rated territory because it included a scene with partially nude nuns on roller skates fighting the heroes. Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, come on, bro. Sometimes you gotta get out of your shell. Partially nude. Partially nude. What does that mean? Partially nude. Partially nude nuns. Partially nude nuns. Yeah, because you would just say them like scantily clad, right? What's partially yeah. nude? One. Yeah, nipple? scantily clad would be like you know, like a cleavage. If you're you know? partially nude, is that like one nipple? I I think it's topless but bottomed. Like you have the bottoms, but you don't have a top. So I, you know what? I don't think this is a. I think this is something we shouldn't be thinking of, <laughs> especially with nuns, but. Especially when I was talking about sister acts so much earlier. Uh, God forgive me. But, um, anyway, when getting this movie started, Mark uh, Friedman knew that it would have to offer a significantly different experience from the Fred Wolf produced animated series. Therefore, they, they had a distinct effort to make this movie as close as possible to the comics, even adapting some of the comics' uh, storylines. Like, the turtle origin is told. Literally is about the origin. <laughs> that that's a, that's the comic book storyline, but we literally see it in this film. Me, myself, and I is when Raphael encounters Casey Jones for the first time, which happens in this film. What goes around comes around. When the Foot Clan critically injures a turtle, that happens in this film. Silent Partner, a fight in April's home between the Foot and the Turtles and Casey, also happens in this film. And uh, True Stories, the Turtles hide out in April's farm. Uh, that happens in this film. And they also have one where the Turtles come back to uh, confront. 
the foot and shredder they will go away for a bit and then come back to new york which happens at the end that's the third act here um the resulting film the one we're going to talk about closely follows the storylines from the mirage comic books in addition to some of the more light-hearted elements of the cartoons i'm dead how this is just like probably one of the most faithfully adapted comic book movies like we've ever had i think what really makes it um what really makes it stand the test of time is those damn suits they are really good designs. Those damn Jim Henson. Suits. It's Jim Henson. Can we expect anything less than greatness from the late Jim Henson? I mean, he created like an entire world of of puppetry. And Come and play, where you know you can count the days away, where the air is sweet, man. <laughs> the last theatrical film that Jim Henson was associated with was this film, because he died about a month and a half after the film's release. That's and, just. Uh, Yes. Yeah, Old Jim, though, you know, was reportedly upset about the level of violence in the finished movie right before he died. That's like, well, last, I mean, this is the guy that gave us was, Cookie hate, Monsters. Said, I hate Ninja Turtles, and then he. Oh, so this is the. Uh, so that's where Zombieland got that joke oh, from. Last like, words. Like, do you have any regrets, Garfield? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. But I mean, like, honestly, this is the guy that gave us, you know, like Snuffleupagus and Big Bird. He was very pop. Probably he's probably church bound, you know, like those like uptight Christians that he sees children and family values, you know, probably like you know, ho- closet homophobic and racist. We don't know how the. It's just <laughs> you're importing a lot of things on this Jim I, Henson Jim fellow. <laughs> well, listen, Jim Henson can have a great mind and give us great ca- characters, but who's to say that people from those eras didn't uh, think like I that? I mean, he also died a month and a half after this film. I, to my knowledge, Jim Henson ha- did not die. Of uh, like um, horseplay or you know like what's that foul play? Uh, so he was probably up in years when he when he probably a big smoker and when he expressed this uh, concern. But he was proud to have helped advance the art of animatronics, even though he found the violence excessive, pointless, and not his style. To this... I mean, a turtle gets a teenage turtle gets thrown through a skyline roof. That's uh, yeah. Shredder gets thrown in the garbage truck and killed, basically killed, smashed up. Um, and Tatsu almost kills one of the children. Um, to help disguise how cumbersome and slow the turtles' costumes were, dialogue scenes were shot at 23 frames per second, so that when they were played at the normal speed of 24 frames per second, they appeared a bit sharper. For the same reasons, fight scenes were shot at 22 or 23, then sped up to 24. Um, and the other thing that I did not know is that in the comics and in the animated series, the turtles are 3 to 4 feet tall. I can't believe that they are that short in the comics. That Peter Dinklage and Danny DeVito are literally the size of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles based That's on funny. canonically for the comics. Yeah. Danny DeVito's either taller or the same size as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So think of Batman Returns, how Danny DeVito looked in that, but now put him in a turtle outfit instead of a penguin outfit. That's our turtles. And not only that, it, it, and I think, you know, it, well, it says it here, like, you know, the turtles are the same height as Casey, Shredder, and April for the most part, and, and majority of the Foot Clan, so between five, six, and six feet. Which makes sense because if you had four foot turtles against a six foot shredder, it just looks weird. It just looks weird. Yeah, you're not used did... to seeing normal people that height, so you're not, you know, nothing against Danny DeVito. But I'm saying, you know, <laughs> well, he's definitely not normal. It made the humanoid thing more, more believable that they were the size of, of well, a normal. Well, for me, I, I would choose to male. believe that if if you have, you know, genetically mutated turtles that turn into humans, they should be big. Yeah, like the turtles from the Michael Bay movies. Those turtles looked huge. Those suckers stood at like nine, ten feet tall. They have a little bit too much attitude, though. Those turtles. They need to go like go to church, or like walk old <laughs> ladies across the street. Because I think, uh, uh, what's his face? 
Raphael has a self-inflicted wound that is a tattoo. He's going through some things, man. Like he's going Michelangelo through... is a horn dog. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's Michael Bay writing. I did so. not like the gap tooth of Michelangelo. But he did have the he had the alone, gap man. tooth. Leave my boy alone. Anyway, ready to get into this film? Let's get into the film. Did you think it held up? Oh, this definitely held up. It's nineties as hell. Oh, it's a product of its time, and it's beautiful. All of that, all of that. There was somebody making fun of it. It's like the Seinfeld stuff, right? Like the fucking. Yeah, it's all, that, all those weird sounds and stuff like that. Um, but the, my thing is, like, this was like the sound of the 90s, like all these shows and all these cartoons. Somebody must have really thought that these were like jams, right? They were like, yo, I. I just, I just did it. I just you know what those, the it, turtle. It, they're probably motif. the most freest songs that they can use. They're probably like stock music, like you, like those compo- like the composers that they grab to do the scores. That's probably what they have on their computer as like you know, like uh, demos, like warm ups. Oh, I made this score while I was warming up before I did the real score. Wait, that was the warm up. I like that. Did you hear the weird rap at the end of the film? Yeah, the turtle rap. Turtle rap and the turtle power in the game. Yeah. Come you got Michelangelo. Up. He's so cool. I'm He's like, what is going on here? 90s as hell. And the film opens up in a very 90s-ass New York. Dude, this is the most dangerous New York since Taxi Driver. Broad daylight. I'm not... F- People front- are getting robbed in broad daylight, Dan, and April O'Neil is not... They got the most, it. like, intricate pickpocketing system ever. Like, you got yes. one girl steal from the from a purse. Again, in broad daylight. Yo, and then he they pass it off to one person, and one person passes it off to another. I mean, Danny, which we'll talk about in a bit, seems to be in the middle of all this. Even the kid from the second one in Secret of the Ooze, didn't he, like, almost get the crap kicked out of him in, like, broad daylight? Yeah. He was on, like, a delivery. Were they, like, at the mall or something like that? Yeah, he, he was. He yeah. worked at, like, a, it was like a pizza guy. New York did not care in the 90s. You will not get your all. ass whooped in the street. I mean, and New York out. now don't care, still. Oh, yeah, kind of right. Um... But yeah, like we were saying, there's a crime wave hit in New York, and April O'Neil is trying to explain this via television exposition, and no one seems to be able to identify the thieves, but they only they continuously see a groups of teenage boys fleeing the scene of most of the crimes. Connect the dots, man. It's probably teen teen kids. April O'Neil blames the chief of police and overall government oversight for the robberies, and after leaving her job one night, she catches teenagers stealing electronics. Um, it is just so funny. Like thieves have it so easy nowadays. Like you don't have to steal a stereo system. You get a sound bar, put it under your arm, and walk out. But back in those days, you had to carry these big ass tube TVs or freaking stereo Yo, giants, systems. Like yeah. yeah. Um, it it's just so funny. Like the difference in technology in general. Um, when she sees them stealing electronics, they move in on her to attack her because you know she's kind of a witness, a dangling carrot. Um. But a single sigh smashes a streetlight, coating the entire scene in darkness. When the police arrive, all the punks are tied up, and April puts a single sigh in her purse. Puts the single sigh in her purse, as someone looks out on from the shadows and literally exclaims, "Damn!" <laughs> I was like, "I was like, man, Raph, you done messed that up, bro. You done left something behind at the scene of the crime." Um, we enter the sewers and meet our protagonist and hear our theme song. The, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who are high-fiving themselves after helping April. Excellent! Radical! Bodacious! All that stuff. Um, turns out, this was their first battle. Their first time leaving the sewers and actually helping fight crime. So their master, Splinter, warns them that they are the key... Oh, sorry. That the key to their ability as ninjas lies in them being invisible. He stresses that this is why they stay underground, and Raphael admits to losing a sigh. When Splinter t- tells him to let it go, Raphael seems pissed, 
But Splinter instructs the turtles to meditate, which to them means dancing to tequila. And, and Ralph sneaks out to see Critters. There's several points in this where Splinter is being ridiculously serious and the turtles are being ridiculously ridiculous. But he doesn't necessarily admonish them for it. Yeah, no. He's all like, oh, kids he understands. Kids. Yeah, he understands that they're kids, they're the only boys he has. And you know what the thing is? is I feel like they don't cause trouble. Like, they're not when, malicious. When there's times to sit down and actually do your meditation and do your training, they do do their training, they do do their meditation. And I think every adaptation has a point to show at one point or another you're going to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, they're very disciplined. They're very, I listen to my father. I love my father. Yeah. But they are going to goof off and they're going to slack off because at the end of the day, they're still kids. Right. And, and and it's even more harmless because they're slacking off in his care. In yeah. In his supervision. They're not up there doing all kinds of crazy And their stuff slacking that... off isn't like impeding anybody else's Happiness feel or safety it. or yeah. that kind of stuff. Which they're is just dancing important. to tequila. Tequila. Which I always assumed was a song particularly made for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Is was is there? See, that's funny because there I, an actual utility to that song. First time I ever heard that song was Sandlot. Really? When all the kids went to the fair, and uh, uh, one of the guys with the glasses, uh, he got he, he brings a bag of chewing tobacco, and it was called Big Chew. So all these kids like literally put like these globs of fucking yeah. chewing tobacco in their mouth and they're like chewing on it like if it's fucking gum. Now, I went to military school and I have a, yeah. a I have a nicotine addiction. So, when you can't smoke cigarettes out in military school, there's only one thing you can do out in military school. Chew tobacco. So, I learned how to chew tobacco. You only take a pinch and you put it on the inside of your gums, between your gum and your lip, and you just suck on it and spit. You don't chew it like if it's gum. Yeah. And then every Ugh. all those kids yeah. were on the tilt-a-whirl. While they were chewing on chewing tobacco and throwing up everywhere. It was landing on people's feet, on their clothes. And the song that was playing was Tequila. tequila. Yep. It seems one of the bigger uh, one of the bigger ones is... Um, uh, uh, um, sorry. I'm Did you Google, Google Tequila and not get a bunch of pages of just liquor? <laughs> right? No, so there was like one released in 1988 that was uh, uh, pretty popular by the champs. Um and it won a Grammy award, seemingly. <laughs> it doesn't. This song has no words, but um, yeah. Apparently, tequila was 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 big back in those days. I don't even know if the turtles can get drunk. Someone should ask that. Um, I like that Raphael's kind of a kid. I lost the side. I could get it back. No, you can't. I love. First of all, I love Spencer's voice in this. Yeah, Kevin Clash. Kevin Clash is the man. I was initially worried. And I may probably should I probably should still be worried because I was worried about whether or not this was an Asian man or a, 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 an American man doing what he thinks an Asian man's accent is, and I was wondering if that was going to end up being problematic. But I mean, I, I I like him. I like Splinter's character design. I don't need him with the Fu Manchu like you see in, in later iterations. I don't need him with weird hair, uh, weird samurai hair. I like this weird bathrobe. Uh, you know, it was probably a gi with the stick and the and the graying of the little beard on the bottom. Like the, I I like that uh, Splinter, and there's also a lot of very quiet moments with Splinter and his and his children. This movie has a big theme around family, which we'll get to in a bit. But while Raphael is out in his trench coat disguise, he saves a woman from being mugged. Do you think the trench coat disguise is uh? Works. It's the ori- it's the original uh, glasses and hat MCU disguise. Yeah, 
Or I call it the Ben Grimm, because that's how... That is the Ben Grimm disguise. My God. I don't know if they, they got it from that, but... Hey, if it hides the shell, and you're late at night, and no one can see your skin, then I guess you're fine. Bro, you ready? Are you gonna... That's There's a picture hilarious. on of both Raphael and... And the fact that Raphael is short as fuck because he actually is three to four feet is even funnier. Yeah, well, yeah. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's their whole thing. That's how they know how to how to, how to to hide in plain sight. I like that at one point he gets run over by a car and somebody's like, what is that? And he goes like, I don't know. It seems like a turtle in a trench coat. By the way, are you going to LaGuardia? Which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, so, Raphael in his trench coat saves a woman from being mugged, but the thieves are then approached by a mass vigilante who assaults them for their crimes. Oddly enough, Raph comes to the thieves' aid, but is trapped in a trash can by the vigilante, who identifies himself as Casey Jones. Uh, cool introduction for that character. I really like how that mask looks. My favorite Casey Jones. There will never be a different Casey Jones for me. You don't like uh, Steve Amell? Stephen Amell? If he had his, if he had long hair there you go, right? and a better mask yes, and wasn't a cop. And wasn't a cop. Later in the sewers, Splinter gives Raph some advice in controlling his anger, saying it's what makes him different from his brothers. He tells him to never forget that he is there for him. Really poignant, quiet moment where Raph is really angry at just about everything. You know, Casey just ma- made a fool of him. He lost a sigh. Things are not going his way. And instead of his father reprimanding him, he sets him down and says, listen. We love you. We all care about you. Realize that you're choosing to be angry by yourself. You have a family here. And I'm And there really here. is no reason to even be angry. You're no. just being impatient. Right. You don't know what to do with this energy that you're that you're dealing with. And you're letting anger eat you up. And unlike your brothers, you're choosing to do this by yourself. Very poignant. Like, it sounds like something that a father would tell his son because a father would know that. His father would recognize this behavior going on for years and be able to say this to him. Um... <sighs> Just makes me wish there were better dads in other comic book adaptations. You, you listen. This is the second time you can. You just don't. You just because it reminds me of that. It's like you should know him. That's your son. He's your son, and he's looking up at you with the eyes of a child, saying, "What should I do? Should I let them die on that bus? Yeah, maybe. Could you imagine <laughs> Spencer saying that? It's more nuanced than that. Could you imagine if Ralph was like, um, "I should have never uh, went up there or saved anybody." Splinter wouldn't say, well, yeah, you're right. You probably still have your side. He would say, what you did was great, but you didn't do it the right way or some kind of way. There's, there's wisdom. There's, there's love. And then there's first nihilism. And foremost, first and foremost, there's love. I'm telling you this in love. I'm telling you this with love. Not I'm telling you this in fear or uh, the fear of what the repercussions are to be. And, um, you know, Splinter has a lot of the similar same worries. He doesn't want his kids being seen by the government, seen by any outsiders who won't understand them, try to dissect them, all kinds of stuff. Same fears, but he knows that if he imparts them with wisdom, when he leaves this plane, they'll be okay. Which is every parent's goal is to just make sure their kid is okay when they're gone. Now imagine if the father gets to choose when they leave, and when they choose that moment, they know they have not imparted anything on the on their kid. So not only And just give a long, sullen stare. And just shake your head and say, Don't worry, you it's got okay. this. Don't you save got me. This. Yeah. Remember how I never spoke to you about any of these tough issues because I never thought that any of this was gonna happen because we've been hiding? Well, you're on your own now, kid. And thus I'm gonna go into this hurricane. Out of control. Anyway, 
April O'Neil's on the case, bro. And she thinks that the Foot Clan is behind the recent Quiet Rave because she's been hanging out with people in Little Tokyo, which I don't think anyone's talking to you in Little Tokyo, April. But anyway, uh, she's been hanging out with people in Little Tokyo, and she thinks that the Foot Clan is behind the crime wave, and she confronts the chief of police, putting putting him on blast on on national news. How do you feel about that whole scene and her little beef that continues throughout this film with thinking that the chief of police is keeping things on the wraps? There's only two good April O'Neils in adaptation history, and that really is the like, as far as movies go. The cartoons, I, I'll always go with the '87 April. That's the best April. But as far as cartoon, as far as like the movies go. This April O'Neil and Megan Fox were my favorite April O'Neils. They were like really like independent on the case. Like they were, they were always like um trying to tell everybody that they're the leader. Like you know like they were just awesome at their job. Seeing somebody really be dedicated and awesome at their job when that's supposed to be their character trait is great. I mean I like the fact that a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist is famously known for misspelling every word, mm-hmm. but as long as it's done cool. And she's still the awesome Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Then I'm gonna like whatever adaptation I get. That's why I didn't care for Amy Adams, because like she wasn't really a journalist. She was just trying to do one. Yeah, you know. And there's this weird thing about about these journalists. Uh, not to go off on a tangent, but I feel like they get like hard nosed and and just inquisitive. They're wrong. Yes. They they they're in, they're in up to be annoying, and you're supposed to think that they're annoying annoyance. It comes from a level of persistency, but it's not because you can be persistent and not be annoying. Um, but I guess sometimes being persistent is annoying. Well, the, from perspective, like yeah, if you don't want this person to keep being persistent towards you, you're gonna find it annoying. But if you want a person to be persistent towards another person, and it's getting you a personal gain, then yeah, it's not gonna be annoying. So seeing how like like, like April O'Neil is just very like persistent, like I'm going to let everybody know that there's an inside scoop. They need to know the scoop. They need to know the story. It's pretty ballsy to call out the chief of police on national television. That's pretty ballsy. Yes. Um. And do we ever definitively get an answer as to whether or not he's in the pocket of the foot? No. Because at the end of the movie, the cops are still looking for bad guys to arrest. There isn't like no cop that ends up being arrested like uh office or something you're wanted for questioning of corruption and yada 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 you never really get any of that so you could you could chalk it up to as april's just wrong and she's just using all of that like persistence for journalism to have hunches and i mean maybe maybe the chief of police is lazy because we see later on that um he he gets april's boss to kind of chill out on right on on Doing all this? Oh, he got yeah. He gets her fired, cause it was it was the same scene where she's like on TV and the guys uh, Charles is like, oh, what what is this? What is this? What is this? And then all of a sudden, phone call rings and he's like, are you hearing this? I thought we had a deal that you were gonna do this and this and that. So like, well, that was the big that was the big thing, right? Is the the fact that she went to the chief of police and and basically was on national television, uh, talking about the Foot Clan and what he knew about the Foot Clan. Shredder sees her doing all this because he is doing his best claw cosplay from uh, Inspector Gadget sitting in his very dark room <sighs> with a bunch of TVs throwing things at the TVs when he gets upset. That's a classic villain trope, right? Just yep. get so mad that It's you, even uh, gotten so much as a villain trope that even in Force Awakens, Kylo Ren, after having a conversation with uh, whatever his face was, 
he ends up having like a tantrum where he destroys the whole room with a lightsaber. So there's, I guess it's that classic bad guy trope that you got to throw a temper tantrum. Yeah, I that bad guy throw temper tantrums. Yeah. Um. Well, usually kill somebody, right? Because like that's that was always a big like like um. Vader choking, oh boy. You know, you always got to show a level of Or of uh, Red Skull shooting those Germans and then uh, Zola saying, Hail Hydra. So. Which is why I feel like, um, I, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like, like when Kylo Ren started to flip out, it showed that he was not the man in charge. Because the man in charge yeah. doesn't flip out to that level. You're, you're mad because you're not in charge. <laughs> if you were in charge, you'd handle the situation a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, seeing her as a loose end, the leader of the foot himself, the shredder orders April's si- orders April to be silenced. She is attacked by the foot in a subway and knocked unconscious. She thinks that the people who are going to attack her are people from the Sony trying to get money that she's owed to them. I think that's a uh, Japanese dig. It's definitely a racist joke, but it's like so off the cuff that it's like. You would have to hear it a few times to understand, like, oh, wait, no, they're they're calling all tech support people Asian. If you were in this moment um, offended by April O'Neil's, you know, terminology, she then gets open hand slapped by by the, the, the lead member of the Foot Clan. So no matter what, you're going to be offended for either a woman getting hit or a woman saying a racist joke, so. And she gets jumped a lot in this. She definitely does get jumped a lot. She's constantly getting jumped in this film, but anyway... Raphael, one of the Ninja Turtles, obviously, emerges from the shadows, defeats the foot, and carries the unconscious April O'Neil back into the turtle's hideout, unaware that one of the foot uh, clan is following him. Splinter, their rat master, explains to April that he and the turtles were once ordinary animals, but were mutated into intelligent creatures by toxic waste. Um, How do you feel about the whole April O'Neil waking up to seeing a bunch of weird turtles and a rat? Oh, I was a, I was a fan of it because it's like most of the time you get the pass out. Like, how do you wake up and then just pass out again? <sighs> no, but it was always—it's always been been a, a bother for me. It's cause, like these characters, like they get knocked out. You don't see who carries them to safety because it's supposed to be like revealing the mystery. Like, but you're going to a, a a Ninja Turtles movie. You're really gonna do a a costume reveal when you're going to a movie that you know who the titular character is. So, any but anyways, then they wake up, they see who saved them, they scream, and then pass back out again. I've never seen it not done that way so this way where she's just trying to catch her footing where she's like um um uh uh, uh and okay so you guys are are big and you talk okay the turtles talk now oh and there's also a rat oh my god now the rat talks now like you guys and we saw her go through her logic because she saw a rat and so maybe maybe she was dreaming and so she was just the things that she was seeing was versions of the last things that she saw before but she never saw any turtles so she's like the turtles definitely don't fit into this whole like mini um you know, head head cannon kind of deal here. But uh, the turtles choose to escort April home, and she invites them in for frozen pizza. After returning to the sewers, they find their hideout ransacked and kid and Splinter kidnapped. They return to April's apartment and spend the night there. It's so sad when they knock on the door and they open the Heart door. Heart breaking. There. She goes, "What happened?" And they literally just go, "Splinter." That's it. They don't say Splinter's and gone. Their heads like down. And it's like moving. I'm pretty sure they're something. crying. No, they're crying. Well, um, I think it was, I think one of them was crying. Maybe Michelangelo was the one that was like in tears or something. There's a lot of turtle tears. I don't think the the turtles cry once in Turtles Sue. Well, they don't got nothing to cry about no more. Like, Everything's too fun. Everybody's all happy. Everybody happy. Um, yeah. 
<sighs> Poor turtles. Since the beginning of the film, we've been shown that Danny, the delinquent son of April's supervisor, Charles, works for the foot. We saw that in the beginning of the film, and we see it throughout the film. And so we see the scene of Charles, April's boss, bailing his son out of jail for robbery and truancy. And also sitting down and talking to the chief of police who was like, hey, by the way, now that your son's free, can you do me a favor? And can you get April the hell off my back about all this crap? And so they go to April's house in, you know, trying to get her to stop hounding the chief of police about the Foot Clan. But Danny ends up seeing the turtles hiding inside of the uh, apartment. And he reports this to Shredder back at the headquarters for the foot and that's where we it gets unveiled unveiled that the shredder um is creating a, a child army a, a army of teenagers um uh, basically the wayward youths of and it's new so york cool the juxtaposition of like splinter and shredder where one underground lair is a um has four turtles learning the disciplines of martial arts and and but still trying to ultimately be like kids and be good people and then you have the other side all these kid armies and they're basically in fucking caligula's palace yes like it's just you know, uh, it, they're playing poker they're what, smoking cigars was there going too far was there something was there something that you saw you were like wow these are just kids just, yeah no it, it was the doing... gr- it was the girl that was that she was wearing like the fishnet stockings and like the jean skirt and she was sitting on top of like a pinball machine and four guys were around her, and she's, like, rubbing on their, like, chest and arms. And it's like, yo, wait a minute. Contextually, this is, like, a 14 or, like, a 13-year-old girl about to get gangbanged by, like, four other 14-year-olds. This is not cool. Yeah. That was a little over the line for me. I thought the cigar smoke, it's weird to see children with cigars in their mouths. Cigars are, like, way way worse than, way cigarettes. Worse than yeah. cigarettes. Yeah, like, I think we've all grown up seeing early teens smoke. Uh, so that's nothing. But seeing like it looked like an eight year old <laughs> with a whole cigar in his mouth and play Russian roulette. Or oh. son never sat right with me. Like yeah. when you first like start to get that like little inkling reveal of his of his character. Like he he takes Elijah Wood to the woods and he pulls out like a cigarette and starts lighting it. But you know how, like kids light it in movies where they end up lighting the lighter with two hands, so they look so like fucking unprofessional with it. It's like oh god. Yes, <laughs> bunch of kids spray painting. Uh, they do the same thing in Power Rangers in the uh oh we're in trouble montage of the parents all leaping to their doom and then all the kids hang out they they everyone eats candy and and hangs out and does what they want to do what's cool about this though is that that's all kind of the facade of it right there's like a back room where they're actively training some of these kids for actual combat actively training them to be members of the foot clan and you see um one of the members graduate you see the coronation of shredder you know giving one of them the bandana and it's it's done in this like ritualistic style and then he gives this very um you know this very manipulative speech about how no one loves them but him and he is their father he is their family um and like you said again there's definitely a juxtaposition between this speech and the speech that um splinter gives the turtles about what's important who's important and why family is important um, after the argument, after an argument with Leo, Raphael goes to the roof of April's apartment building to blow off some steam, and the foot ambush him. He's knocked unconscious and thrown through the sunroof while the turtles scramble desperately to defend themselves. They are later assisted by vigilante Casey Jones, and when the building catches fire during the fight, the turtles, April, and Casey retreat to a farm belonging to April's family, and also April's fired. 
let's talk about this scene a bit because I think it's 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 it definitely goes on a lot longer than I described it. The fights um, in the apartment. Yeah, but what are your oh. highlights from that? Oh, um, they they were like all having jokes and just hanging like uh. Has anybody seen Raph? He's been gone a long time. Oh, don't worry. I'm pretty sure he's just going to drop in any minute. And then, bam, Raphael's thrown right through the freaking skyline roof. The cheesy one-lines and the, the, the puns of this movie is just ear candy. I'm sorry. It's it's funny to listen to all the all those, like, you know, oh, don't worry. I, I bet he's going to drop in. Bam, drops right through the window and stuff like that. that it's funny. It's cool. It was kind of... um. In, I guess in a bleak way, it was kind of heartwarming to see Raphael willing to take on all the foot by himself. Uh, even when they t- tossed his sides over the top. Like, I'm rooting for my guy. You know, I'm like, you have a high head, bro, but you're the only one up here. Let's handle this. And then he gets thrown through and unconscious. We see these guys joking, having fun, making pop culture references, talking about Jose Canseco. And when push comes to shove, we're literally seeing one unconscious. Not the, the brain damage or something. And it's so messed occurred. up because at the end of the day, they're still kids. Yeah. You exactly. always have to look at. You have to look Imagine at it. They're fifteen. Year old. Imagine if that was one of the three ninjas got thrown through a skyline and he was knocked out, and they were like, "Rocky, Rocky." That's what you have to. That's what you have to look at it as. You have to look at it as like take away the the mutant and the turtle part and just put teenage ninjas. That's a fifteen year old kid being thrown through a skyline. Yeah, and I can understand why Jim Henson thought this movie was violent. <laughs> I wonder how many times they had to. Uh... Uh, throw people through skylines to get the perfect shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and especially since like Josh Paris, like, Perez is like in the costume and doing the voices. So yes. imagine how many times you have to get thrown through that roof with that uncomfortable ass costume. Um, but oh yeah, I love the Casey Jones entrance into this because uh, you hadn't seen him since since the park. Yeah, um, and, but he did follow Raphael. He knew that they, they were in that building, and um. He basically shows up in his cool outfit, his mask, and his uh, hockey gear and all that stuff. And he's like, uh, what do you think y'all doing messing with my green bro or something like that? Yeah, he's like, hey, why, uh, why are you guys picking on my green buddy? And I was like, you know That's what, pretty Casey, cool. I yeah. mess with you, bro. You feel me? Because um, it's a respect thing. He, they were, they're, not, they're not bad guys. So in each other's eyes, it's like, oh, you're beating up this guy for trying to rob her purse? I'm beating up this guy for trying to rob her purse. Oh, wait, why do you want to fight me? You want to fight me? And then he gets the, he ends up getting the better of him. It's like, yeah, now I respect you because like you had the balls to stand up to me even though I got the better of you. They fight and then they're mates. That's the whole, that's the whole, that's the whole trajectory. Back at the foot headquarters, Shredder interrogates Splinter and demands to know the origin of the turtles before giving his henchman Tatsu a dirty look uh, for letting them get away. This causes Tatsu to go crazy and knockout slash kill a Foot Clan soldier. I have knockout slash kill because in the original script, he kills a Foot Clan soldier out of anger uh, because Splinter is seemingly... Um, he got chewed out by his boss without getting chewed out. Could you imagine getting to a point at work where a look is enough for you to feel like you got rammed or reamed? Uh, it's crazy because Tatsu does not take the micromanagement from Shredder lightly and, like I said, damn near kills a child. Danny sees this and goes to where Splinter is being kept and they seem to form a friendship. The heroes get to April's family farm and when Casey lets April know that she was fired, uh, the first two, I mean, when Casey lets April know that she was fired, the two fight. In a true will they or won't they moment in the entire series, uh, they're they're playing really heavy handed with this because they're playing Casey as being like the ultimate bro. 
so he he's not sensitive necessarily to all of April's needs. Um, and April just thinks that he's a dumb meathead jock, which we know is not the case for Casey. But um, yeah, definitely playing like a whole will they won't they thing with that. Oh, he he was definitely more than just some dumb long haired jock. But that's how they kind of play him with him doing like the whole like uh when they played that whole um broad broadzilla all those kind of you know yeah all those not so great um names for women you got to respect women out there Casey damn it uh, we'll talk about how Casey respects women in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> we're giving some narration from April I actually like this I I like them talking about the turtles you know Oh, where she's like doing her little journal entries. Like yeah. it's been a couple of days now. You know, Raphael is still passed out. They're all handling it. Everyone, different. yeah, like Leonardo's always in the garden and stuff like that. And you I can't that? get a handle on this Casey guy, but he seems cute and stuff. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, we're given some narration from April about how the turtles are coping with their first major defeat and the kidnapping of their mentor. Donnie is seen bonding with Casey over f- fixing the vehicle. Raphael is still unconscious, and Leo has yet to leave his side. Michelangelo is seen training with a punching bag. Later on, Raphael recovers. That was kind of a sweet scene, right? Of Raphael recovering and Leo like, oh my god, bro, you're alive. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm just hungry. And he's like, guys, he's hungry. Get him something. I thought that was a very sweet moment between those two brothers, especially considering we just saw them fight. Um, thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, you got to see the, the the good and the bad with those two. Uh, I thought it was kind of poetic to see Donnie, I mean, sorry, Leo right there by his side, falling asleep, you know, won't leave his oh, side. Oh, of course. They're brother's still brothers side. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and you got to think that maybe in some kind of ways, because their argument led Raphael to go up, up to the roof, maybe Leo feels somewhat responsible. What do you think? Yeah. Because if he didn't go up onto the, if he didn't get into the fight with, if he would have just like, I mean... It's weird because... They're also 15. <laughs> so, yeah, and... As he, far as blame goes, we like to do that a lot to ourselves at, at a young age. It's also, you can't expect everybody to react the way you're going to react. And who's to say that Leonardo was wrong for even deciding to feel like enough was enough? Yeah. R- r- but, when, but when the next act that comes after that... Is your brother, brother being thrown... thrown the thing, you're like, oh, wow, maybe well, I maybe should've... I should have just like yeah. let myself like put my pride aside and not open my mouth. Yeah, 110. percent And Leo, Leo, out of all of them, is the most introspective one. He's the one that will follow the bread comes back and be like, how could I have changed this? How could I have done this better? So I thought that was really, um, really cool. Uh, so yeah, Raphael recovers and the turtles train together while Casey forces a massage on April. Where do you sit on this whole? See, that's the thing is forced massage. Like, the, because at first time I'm watching, I'm like, you can't really do that now. I guess. You but can't. if you want to look at it more in, in a different way, it's like he's not using his strength as as a as a power play to sexually harass her. He's yeah. not trying to do that massage so that the next step is her shirt's off. He yeah. was literally trying to uh, to help a woman that just decided to thrust the role thrust. of. She decided to have the role thrusted upon her. She wanted to be a surrogate mother for the turtles. <laughs> okay. And in being a surrogate mother for four turtles that are now mutants and teenagers, right. comes the stress of her apartment becoming on fire, her losing her job. And her apartment was above the her father's antique, antique shop, shop, so she lost her father's antique shop. Yeah. 
Now she has to go out to this old cabin that probably brings back tra- traumatic memories. Yeah, so we don't know. So the fact is like that she was trying to like continue to put all of this weight on her shoulders. He's just like, let me just massage you for a second so you feel better. And- I, I did like the physical acting from both actors in this scene because you can see that obviously April is bothered by her back <laughs> or her shoulders. You know, she's just bothered by uh, the burden that's on her shoulders. And um, she's massaging her own shoulder, which, in my opinion, never works. You can never give yourself the amount of, of, of pressure or angles, I guess, that you would need nope. to get to the places that you need to it get to. And so I'm trying. I look stupid. Casey sees her desperately trying to massage herself, and he goes to massage her. She pushes him away, and then he kind of like, no, listen, the thing that you're trying to do for yourself, you cannot do. Literally give me 30 seconds at this, and I'm going to make you feel better than you trying to do it for 30 minutes. That's all he's trying to do. But it also looked kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Speaking of weird. Leo, Let's get weird. Leo contacts Splinter through telepathy and gets his brothers to join in. They do a seance of sorts and Splinter tells them that love is what binds them before disappearing. The turtles weep and they return to New York to rescue him. Talk to me about this whole campfire experience with these turtles. Man, if that wasn't so beautiful. It was just nice to just see Leo finally becoming the leader. Yeah. Because they, they, they were like... They were reluctant to sit down. They weren't going to originally sit down. Yes. And he's like, guys, just do it. Just sit down. It's something Master Splinter would have wanted. And then when they finally sit down and they unlocked every damn shocker in their entire body. Yes, they did. Like I said, that that's... They're saying something there, right? That's an intense level of meditation, yeah, of dedication, of discipline. Things that they were taught by Splinter. Because who's to say that they're talking to telepathy as more as that they're using their knowledge of what Splinter would say in that moment as a way to hear his voice connectively. They're used like spirits are still a true thing, but if he's still alive and there was, I I don't know. It's it's like the force without being the force. Yes, yes. But the thing is, they were able to do that probably primarily based on Splinter's teachings. Yes, without Splinter's teachings, they wouldn't be able to do that. And it shows you the level of discipline these turtles have, and the uh, if if it's nailed over the head that you know, like you do this together, you know, exactly. All of you do this together, and he says, like, you know what I think? Why I think I'm so like taken by all of Splinter's dialogue in this? I've never heard a a male character so openly say how much he loves his children <laughs> in the nineties. He's very vocal about how much he loves them, how much he he wants them to love each other, how much the 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 true, you know, talents and true skills, uh, rely on their ability to love and trust one another. It really hits me in in this in this place that I I didn't think I would be affected, but Splinter is incredible in this as as a mentor, as a father figure, and just somebody that they can rely on. Um, but yes. So they return to the sewers and find Danny in their hideout. He explains that he ran away. Later that night, he sneaks out and Casey Jones follows him. Turns out, Danny has been secretly taking counsel from Splinter, who tells him the story of his master, Hamaru Yoshi's murder by a rival ninja, Aroku Saki, like we spoke earlier, over the love of a woman. All over the love of a woman. Um, during the struggle, Splinter, who was a rat at the time, you know, a regular small rat, his cage was broken and he lunged at Saki's face, clawing and biting him. Saki threw Splinter to the floor and took one swipe with his katana, slicing Splinter's ear. 
Shredder shows up and interrogates Danny about his whereabouts and finds a, a drawing of Leonardo in his pocket, alerting him to the return of the turtles. He sends the Foot Clan into the sewers where they are made quick work of by the turtles. The turtles kind of just whoop their ass. Back at the Foot headquarters, Danny learns that Shredder intends to have Splinter killed and he and Casey set him free. Uh, you want to talk about this whole crucifixion of Splinter? That, how that was how pretty, he set up. In that's the, pretty in messed that. up. That he was like wrapped in chains from around his arms he to around like, his waist. Yeah, he's just like uh, tied up against a a, a a fence, right? Like a steel. Yeah, he's like a, like fence. a chain link fence. Yes, he's uh, chained to a chain link fence, and they just have him there. And he has like these bruises on him. He, I, I think he has some like dried blood on him. Uh, he definitely looked like. He oh, he was cut. Yeah, he had like he looked like he was beat up. Basically, yeah. his his robe was all dirty. Old wounds, fresh wounds. It was like, he was definitely going. But he it. was still Splinter. He was still there. Still, like, yeah. Telling... He doesn't curse out Danny when Danny sees him for the first time. He literally legit is like trying to impart some wisdom onto him. Um, yeah. So, Tatsu shows up with the foot soldiers, and Casey handily defeats him. Uh, Splinter then reveals to the other teens who had been recruited by the foot that the Shredder has been brainwashing them to do his dirty work. Casey agrees, and upon realizing the truth, they all resign from the foot. Was that realistic to you? Yeah, Ross because they're still they're quit? still kids. You can you can. There's still time to be able to like you know get them in the right motion, the get them on right track the right way. Because if anything, they're really just looking for like a father figure. They're looking for a family. They feel like they don't have a family. But what what is it about hearing it from this rat that that you think you think uh motivates them or changes them? I mean, if a giant rat told you that you had to do better in life, I think you would should, should listen to it. Because when's the next chance you're gonna get to hear a giant rat tell you that you're worthy? That is true. I I was more convinced by Casey Jones, who was like, "This is your family, like for real, like that guy right there on the floor that I just beat up. He's your family." All right, y'all can stay here if y'all want to. That's basically his attitude towards the whole thing. And then y'all can stay here if y'all want to, but I'm getting out of here. Well, because at the end of the day, the choice is still theirs. Yeah, and, and they're not going to drag they, nobody out but of But that's there. the thing with that kid. We all have always felt that as kids is we just want the right to have our own choice. Why can't it be our choice? Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, they, they see the light. They all resign from the foot. Let's get into this third act. The turtles engage the foot in battle on the rooftop until Shredder appears and handily defeats them all. As the Shredder prepares to kill Leonardo, who is the only person who kind of got a hit on him, we have what I am dubbing a rodent ex machina as Splinter appears and challenges Shredder to a fight. Well, now that I have 24 hours to think on of it, who's to say that the rooftop of the building isn't above the sewer system? What do you mean? Like, all right, where the because underground... That, because, because by definition, roofs are above sewers in all cases. I mean, all right, so where that sewer, where the where the big hideout was, where Splinter was and all yeah. that, who's to say that that's not, all he has to do is take one, like, 90s-type lift elevator, you know, those industrial ele- but elevators. But how did he get in an elevator? Danny. What if Danny helped him? Maybe one of Isn't the kids Danny helped Danny at the headquarters? No, I'm saying it's like where they fought on the roof. Yeah. Shouldn't the, where the headquarters is underground be under that specific building? Yeah. Where you could literally go from the the hideout to the roof where the turtles and Shredder are fighting. So someone could have helped him. Maybe I I got I don't know if it's a deleted scene. Maybe I'm just being like reaching from the top shelf. Hey, sometimes you gotta reach from the top. But I had twenty I had twenty four hours to think on how uh, Splinter would have gotten to that rooftop. His old ass, and he's been not fed and beaten for for weeks now. But anyway. 
Splinter names Shredder as Aroku Saki, and Saki removes his mask and touches his scar, remembering how Splinter gave it to him. Enraged by the rat's identity, he charges Splinter to spear him and uses Michelangelo's nunchucks. Um, oh, sorry, and using Michelangelo's nunchucks, Splinter sidesteps Shredder, causing Shredder to fall off the roof, dangling from the roof's edge. In one final attempt, attempt to kill Splinter, Shredder tries to stab Adam, but when Splinter reaches to grab his dagger, his gift is sorry, his grip is released, and Saki falls into a garbage truck. Casey pulls the lever accidentally, quote unquote, whoops, to activate the compactor, crushing the shredder. Is that a murder? Well, I mean, now that we know, because Secret of the Ooze, it ain't a murder. But is it only because Secret of the Ooze? It's like, only because not show it's, up uh, if he ooze? did not show up in any of the second or the third one. Nah, shredder's dead. Who you put that murder on? I'm Casey? putting that murder on Casey. Okay. Casey, looks like, he, Casey looks like he could do some time. <laughs> You know, Casey ain't under the discipline and tutelage of Splinter, so and he's not—he's not like Batman or whatever. So he, it doesn't matter to me. He didn't have time to hear all that, and it really talks back into what I was talking about. Like Casey Jones would be like the Punisher of it all, right? Yeah. In the, in the comparisons to Daredevil, Casey Jones would be the Punisher, Skull Mask, Vigilante, doing things by his way, uh, thinking that the turtles are not doing it 100%. You know, punishing these guys. I totally dig it. Um, Danny gives April the money that he stole from her wallet. Which I thought was weird because she didn't know he stole that. It's weird for me to steal something from you and then give it to you and be like, "Oh, don't worry about where I found it. Like this was, this was yours." But Danny's Danny's trying to do a new thing. He's trying to he's trying to turn over a new leaf. He reunites with his father and chooses to just go by Dan. That's his definitive adult statement that he's made after this time with the Foot Clan, after talking to the Big Rat, after helping the Giant Turtles. Danny refuses to be called Danny. He wants to be called Dan. Dan, how do you feel about that? I love it all. I love the change of heart. I love the fact that he went through an actual full circle. Like he, like you, you see him in the beginning of the movie with no speaking roles, but breaking the law. To the end, being able to let Sh- uh, Splinter out, to giving back the money that he stole, even though no one knew he stole it. Like it's really nice to see like a a character go from bad a bad to good. I, you know, my name is George Serrano, aka the Don. Um, but I don't. I've n- my only my immediate family calls me Georgie, and even they very rarely call me Georgie. I say all this to say, as somebody who's who probably um, got called Danny a lot. Did you get to a point where you were like, no more Dan? I actually, <laughs> here we go. All right, my full name is Daniel Nicholas Georgie. Now I was named after my father, who my so father you was. Realize named... that's Danny Nicky Georgie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you could you could have went three for three for but all the, 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 the thing. The thing is, is um, when it comes down to my family, even to now to this day, twenty seven years later, my, to avoid confusion, when my mother was teaching me how to speak as a infant, she uh, she would call me Nick, because anytime she would say Daniel, or Dan or something, my father would think that she's calling him. So he's like, she's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the baby. Mm-hmm. So I've always, since an infant, I've always been Nick to my family. There isn't a family member or an associate of my family, a friend of the family, somebody that, that doesn't truly know me that doesn't call me Nick. My cousins okay. call me Nick. My brother and sisters call me Nick. My dad calls me Nick. My grandmother. Everybody in my family calls me Nick. Do you Nick have or an, Nicholas. Do you have an aversion to Danny? I don't like Danny. Never? I'm not a Danny fan. Yeah. I'm a Dan. I don't know. Danny is weird. My father always went under as Danny, and I felt like it stuck with him. Yeah. For me, I feel like Dan just defines me. I'm just Dan. Ah. I'm just Dan, you know? Like, I'm Dan. 
I'm I'm, I'm, just the, yep, so I'm that dumbass sense. nerd. It makes sense. Uh, April negotiates for a better contract for her uh, to return to work for Charles. As the police arrive and arrest the foot soldiers, the teens tell them the teens, accompanied by a very stylish Sam Rockwell, um, tells them where the stolen goods are. Reunited with Splinter, the turtles watch as April and Casey kiss and they cheer them on. I like that they cheered them on. They're kids. They would do that immature stuff, cheering them on from the rooftops. I like that Casey gives them a thumbs up, which I thought was pretty cool. Because, again, Casey is, like, legitimately the coolest person in this film. Uh, oh, he's like, definitely is. It's Casey and the Turtles. Yeah. I could totally just hang out with those guys. Don't I'm not going to front. I would hang out with April O'Neil, too. This specific version. Cool, yeah. This specific version of April O'Neil is somebody, like, 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 I would hang out with. By the second one... It it, it it gets more like, yeah, I really like where the writing goes with the April O'Neil character because she's coming in. She has, like, boxes of pizza. They're That's like, partial, that... par- partially the reason why I think people uh, are ingratiated to the character of April O'Neil is her willingness to go along with all the madness that is the Turtles, right? Yeah. She doesn't come in and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all need to calm that down. Y'all need to lower that. Y'all need to stop, you know, doing the... she's She understands who they are and they, she kind of just goes with the flow. And she's... You know, not, you know, for a lack of a better term, she's one of the boys. Yeah. Or, or one of the turtles. Yeah, she's definitely one of the boys. Or one of the turtles. Um, the movie ends with the turtles using their trademark California surfer slang. And when Spencer confesses that he always liked Cowabunga, they all high five and repeat the words Cowabunga. Cowabunga! And then we get that weird Ninja Turtle rap thing. But let's get into Yo, it. yeah, you gotta be aware. Aware oh, of the turtles God. up in the air. That's terrible. Uh, so Judith Hogue plays April O'Neil in this film, but doesn't play April O'Neil in the second film because uh, she was not asked to reprise her role because of her own personal complaining, particularly about the six-day shooting schedule and the amount of violence in the film. That's your way of not getting invited back to the next, <laughs> to the next film. It's like, oh, you didn't like the party I threw last year? Eh, you're not going to like the party I'm going to throw it's this year. So mania. What did you think? Like, again... I'm not here to disparage any actress, but I'm very interested in seeing what the rest of this woman's uh, uh, videography is that she can turn down, you know, turn her nose up at Ninja Turtles. Nothing, probably. What? She wasn't in no rubber costumes getting thrown through skylines, <laughs> you know, getting thrown and through. And you, know uh, you know what's so mind-boggling about this? She wasn't even a damsel in distress. No. Tell uh, two scenes. That's yes, two people. Two that's two people who who said that this is too violent. Who worked on the actual film? That's crazy. Because they this don't the they because they don't see because oh, you you truly don't see the product when you're filming. Because remember, you're only filming your scenes. So who's to say that she's even on set when all of these other scenes are being filmed? Yeah, you definitely can't see the forest through the trees. As the as the uh, I love that damn quote. Definitely can't see the forest through the trees. Um, which yeah, amazing. Uh, but. Let's give you. Let's give, do some comic book origins on April O'Neil. So April O'Neil, that character, her first appearance was literally in the second issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, in the original Mirage comic storyline, April O'Neil was a skilled computer programmer and the assistant to famous yet nefarious scientist Baxter Stockman, who later gets played by Tyler Perry, and in the cartoon, I think becomes a bug. He's like a big bug, bug-faced man. She helped program his mouser robots, but after discovering Baxter was using them to burrow into bank vaults, she fled his workshop. I think that was an episode in the 87 cartoon, too. Yeah, the mousers are, are real big in the cartoon. Because robots are because it's easier for the turtles to disembowel a robot than to disembowel a member of the Foot Clan, right? Yep. Uh, so robots chased her into the sewers, where she was then saved by three of the turtles. And uh, yeah, 
now they're now they're homies. But let's talk about the MVP, Elias Cotius, as Casey Jones, a streetwise vigilante who becomes an ally for the Turtles. So in the comics, he started his career with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when he ran into Raphael, beating up a pair of muggers. When Raphael let them go, Casey proceeded to finish them off, quote-unquote, but was stopped by Raphael, and the two eventually... They clashed, but they eventually ended up helping each other take down more muggers, and he first appeared in a miniseries called Raphael Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1985. Um, but yeah, very almost hand-in-hand with what we see in this film, the origin of Casey Jones. No, yeah, like I like like I said in the in the Speed Force, like this is the, like not only is this one of the best comic book movies I've ever seen. Knowing it's a comic book movie will make it one of the best comic book movies I've ever seen because it doesn't have to be dour, depressing. It doesn't have to have like, like explosions or Batman or a hundred superheroes fighting on, on somewhere. You know, it, it just needs to be entertaining. It needs to hit you in the right moments where you're about to tear up. But it also needs to be like, you know, nostalgic, make you feel. You want to feel something when you watch a movie. So knowing that this is a comic book movie, this is one of the best comic book movies I've ever watched. Like as an adult now watching it start to finish, not only to cover a podcast, but just to be like, let me finally actually sit down and watch this movie with mature adult goggles on. And how uh, uh, like faithful it is to not only most of the stories, but like just mo- what most of these um issues that it's based off of are like consecutive like uh they follow in the same story like issue one two three four five is all like this movie basically and the thing is as we've spoken about before they don't really have have to no not at all they don't have to um like i said before it, they made it a point to make this close to the comic books but they could have made it close to the animated series and they could have been eating pizza and throwing manhole covers out of a van it could have been a whole thing well i'm glad they're eating Rock pizza, Steady, all that pizza kind of in the stuff. movie Oh yeah, well definitely. Oh yo, it's it's such a crime because Michael Bay was the first person to give us Baxter Stockman, the first person to give us Krang. He gave yeah, us Bebop yeah, yeah, and yeah. Rocksteady. He gave us the Turtle the Van. Animated, the animated, the animated uh, version of the Turtles. Speaking of which, we didn't talk about any of the cool like pizza lines. They do the whole pizza uh, getting thrown up and sliced up. That was pizza. awesome. And that one was... of them lands on Splinter's head. Or when they go to order a Papa, uh, not Papa John's, Pizza Hut. Yeah. He's like, uh, patience is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. Oh, and Mikey's talking on the phone, and he's like, you better not put anchovies. I swear to, I swear if there's one anchovy on here, so help me. Yo, Splinter throws the book at him. To talk about, that's literally, right? That's, isn't that a phrase? Like You, you throw, throw the, the book, book at, at somebody, him, yeah. yeah. And the same thing, like we were talking about earlier, the, the friendship between Donnie and... Mikey, Donnie goes to skateboard over to find out what Mikey's doing because Mikey is literally just looking through the skyline of the or the sewer line, looking up at the stars. And Donnie's like, "What is he going like? What's going on, bro?" And he's like, "Pizza guy's got thirty seconds." <laughs> <laughs> I love the delivery of it because oh, he's not alive. thinking about something no. deep. He's not. He's not thinking. Am I immortal? Am I? What's my consciousness like? What's her? Nope. nope. He's like, pizza guy's got 30 seconds. And not going to lie, yo, three bucks in the, in 1990 is probably like $10. Yeah. Like you adjust it to inflation. I don't want to waste my $10 on someone that's going to be late. And even though um, my favorite turtle is Donatello, my pet turtle, which I've had now for seven years, is named Mikey after Michelangelo. I think that's kind of you know, what it's you a cl- now, it, right? it, it's it. I think it's like you're not allowed to get turtles unless you name them of the Ninja Turtles, because I have four have turtles. One. Yeah, no, I have my mo- at my mother's house. We ha- I won my um. It was this like in Coney Island, like you throw those uh golf the ping pong balls into like yes, the yes. bottles of water, and then yep. they give you turtles. Yeah, I won four turtles. Are they still alive? Yeah, 
We and got, this was like I did that with this, fish, and those same, dead. <laughs> same same ages as yours. Like, what do you say? Like that thing's like seven, seven years old. Yeah. It's about uh, yeah, 2011, 12 would be like yeah. seven years. Yeah. yeah, I got them at a fair in Coney Island, oh, and cool. there's only two left. Two of them died. Turtle deaths are hard, man. Rest no, I'm not gonna front. Tur- having a pet turtle is probably like it's sad because it's like I I'm not gonna lie. I don't believe in pets like uh, aquatic pets. Okay. I'm one of those I don't Finding Nemo's fish. Me, yeah. I believe in every other aquatic pet but fish. <laughs> I don't think fish. Maybe fi- like a crab. I have like a pet crab. <laughs> well, like like hermit crabs because their house is literally the shell. shell. Yeah. So they don't need all that oh, area. They stuff, they yeah. just need shells. You're right. Like you know, frogs. I don't think frogs should be in cages. Turtles. I don't think. That, I don't know. It's just when it comes down like to a man's feet and when most it, chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you people. I hope you guys get that. <laughs> but I don't know. Fish aren't fish aren't meant to be in a box, you know. It does things to them. Don't put them in a box. All right. Don't put no turtles in a corner. Never anyway, put a turtle in a corner. Never put a turtle in a corner. Uh, who else is in, the, in this cast? You got um Jay Jay Patterson as Charles, Mike Turney as Danny, Raymond Sarah as Chief Stearns, James Saito as Aroku Saki, uh, Toshi Shiro Obata as Tatsu. That's my man because he comes in the second film too. Brian Tucci plays Leonardo, the leader of the Turtles and the one closest to Splinter. Corey Feldman, the probably the biggest get in this film, uh, plays Donatello. And he has like the, the least amount of lines. That's terrible. For real. Josh Pius plays Raphael as the voice and the person in the suits. Um, and Robbie Rice plays Michelangelo, the youngest and most fun-loving Turtle. And then, as I said before, Kevin Clash, who plays Splinter, was playing a version from the comics where he was the, the pet of... Uh, Hamato Yoshi, as opposed to what you were talking about in the cartoon, where he, he is was Hamato Yoshi. Yeah. Which I think I like that. I like when he's not it better. It, it's it's as ridiculous as the rest of the story. Like this mouse who learns ninjutsu before becoming a mutant. I think that's freaking hilarious. But just like the the Ninja Turtles are literally, there's a million different iterations, and they're available. You know, they're literally available wherever you want to look for them. So is the Major Issues Podcast. The Major Issues Podcast is available wherever podcasts are found. That's like Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, the Apple Podcast app, uh, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere podcasts are found. If you have an iPhone, you already have a podcast app pre-installed. It's crazy how they do that to you guys. But uh, go into the podcast app and search Major Issues Podcast, and we'll be the first ones to pop up. And if you have a regular phone, just go to Google. Literally type in Major Issues Podcast and we'll be the first ones to pop up because we're talking the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. The latest and greatest. We are the most consistent comic book podcast out right now, my friends. Yes, we are. Knock on wood. So, no! What are you doing? Knock on wood. I'm tired. So, no. So, uh... <laughs> Hopefully this one this one gets out to you guys. But um, yeah, we haven't missed a single week so far. Uh, we drop Wednesday episodes every Wednesday, and we're dabbling with some live episodes. We did the one hundredth episode is live. Um, oh, we could definitely do I. more of those. Yeah, the one hundredth episode of Major Issues um, was recorded live. So if you go to facebook.com slash comic book click, you can see that full video. But hell, follow us everywhere. Facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or use comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also available on Twitter at major issues CBC. And obviously you're listening to this, you're not gonna write all this stuff down. You'll remember some of it. You'll remember that click is Just screenshot the show notes, man. Go to the show notes, take a screenshot and you got it that's it all you need to remember is that click is spelled c-l-i-q-u-e and 
If you can't remember any of that, go into the show notes, into the description for this episode. And every single one of the episodes are links to our shop at Public, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter. Um, and we are branching out there. We're looking to get a comicbookclick.com so Major Issues could be the official podcast of comicbookclick.com. I'm looking to write articles for you guys to read. And if you don't read, well, then listen, Charlie Kelly, why are you listening? Yes, yes. We'll get you We'll get you one way or the other. You're either going to listen to the podcast or read the articles. But we're doing the best for you guys and putting out this exclusive content. But we want to hear from you guys, like I said again. So uh, continue to follow us. Continue to like, share, and subscribe. Continue to tell a friend and tell a friend about the podcast. Um, our numbers are growing and it just feels so good because I I know that we're getting a real honest to God, you know, genuine fan base out there. And it feels good to to put out good content and hear from good people. So make sure that you guys are reaching us where, however you guys want to. And remember, you can reach us also at comicbookclick at gmail.com. Give us feedback on any of these episodes. And we try to give you guys a bit of a heads up on what we're tackling. You can write an email on that topic and we will read that email live here on air. So, for instance... Um, next week we'll be covering Kingdom Come. So if you've read Kingdom Come, if you're listening to this on Wednesday and you've read Kingdom Come already and you have some thoughts, email us, comicbookclick at gmail.com and we'll read that email live on air. But uh, that's about it for me and I think that's about it for us. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 1990s movie recap and review. And remember, whether or not you're a party dude, whether uh what's the other ones? Uh uh crew uh cool but rude. Whether you're cool but rude, whether you're just a party dude, whether you're uh Whether you like machines or, or whether, whether you're the leader. Or whether you were, or whether you were born being green. Uh remember, I love being a turtle. <laughs> you're you're a member of the clique, and you, yes, you are worthy. <laughs>